Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. In podcast land. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Rowan. It's great to be back on. We are back. The Bible. Wait, what? What? That's, that suits and my voice really so, well. It does. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're, we're back with Kenny for the first time in a while. I know. And I we're was record- one of the early guys. You were one of the early guys. And we're recording this episode like, like last week's episode with Pastor Jeff, which was released last week, yeah. was recorded like... Nearly two months, over two months ago. This episode, we're recording two days before we release it, Kenny. I've been a bit crook, listeners. Yeah, poor guy. He has. He's <laughs> got a great down. voice for radio now, I have to say. <laughs> so I just uh, love to speak like this. <laughs> Pastor Rowan. You still, unfortunately, for those on YouTube, we did have the, the tissue box sitting right at the front a moment ago. And I said, Kenny, take it to the back of the table so it's away from YouTube because it was just the front and center thing. <laughs> I just don't know what's going to happen, especially if I laugh. If I laugh, there could be a <laughs> he big He might cough, have a coughing so. fit. Poor guy, he's really been rat, rat, rattled by this. Um, this has been well, three, three weeks now, something like that. I've, I've got to sing at church last Sunday, which was one of my main things, but then I went and sang for three hours. Yeah, you did a gig after at that. At a pub. <laughs> but I drank t- hot water with lemon. Yep. I was a good boy, yep. but I just... Takes it out. And it of took you. that. So that was the singing that took it out of your voice. I after think that. that's yeah. yeah. Sort of. By the end of that day, down. I was like, okay, I'm probably in trouble here. Yeah. Let's and then part of my job is just talking to people all day as well. So. Oh, totally. Well, as a, <laughs> as a speaker, um, we're preachers and speakers, we don't really t- pay enough attention to our voices. Yeah. Really, we're told we should be thinking about like, thinking about it the same way that you singers do, but you're obviously. You know, you're very aware that singing puts a huge strain on your voice, doesn't well, it? Well, I can't even sing through my diaphragm. Properly, apparently. Oh. <laughs> Kenny, you've got the perfect Aussie twang. <laughs> That's it. You, the Aussie jang, the, twang's not the, like opera. I get dizzy <laughs> if I elongate notes. <laughs> anyway, no, enough about you, that. I love the way you sing, Kenny. So we're, we're diving into, uh, what are we talking about today, Kenny? I'm excited. i got a couple of you've ripper had, subjects. You've had these notes written um, for about a month, haven't you? I have, I have in we're my got, large We're doing font. two podcasts back to back Yes, today. that's right. We're starting with um, Eternal Life, which is, a, it's a ripper. Um, I wanted to... 
have a bit of a chat about it in general, really, because I was, sure. we were talking just before we started recording about how I feel like I drift around with eternal life. Some days I'm like, oh, isn't it going to be great? And other days I'm like, I don't even care because <laughs> this world is so hard. I'm just concentrating <laughs> just on get getting through. through. Today. Yep. And then sometimes I'm like, yeah, eternal life, wonderful, but isn't it about what I do on this earth and how I conduct myself? That's what I'm thinking. And what it, do you think when you say that to yourself? Well, you know, a lot of people say you only get one chance. And right. I guess at, at my wise old age of 51, I'm concentrating a bit more on trying to be, trying to do things right. Yeah, sure. And trying to not be so selfish. Make Although your life certainly count. moments where I yeah, sure. would take the 30 minute parking spot for longer <laughs> for those that have been listening to previous podcasts. Yes, that's right. Those that persevered with our five hour conversation with Jeannie would understand that one. But I was, I was thinking on the drive here, does eternal life mean eternal life in heaven? Mm-hmm. And then part of me went straight to, geez, it must be getting crowded in there. Ah, right. Okay. So you're <laughs> you know, not the way you not, think laterally. Not even if heaven's, you know, a spiritual place, but there'd be a lot of people in heaven. Sure. Or, yeah you know, there'd be a lot of people in internal life yeah. if they've built up over all that time. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. some good thoughts there. So you were, you're Straight moving, off the bat, I'm moving sorry. into the realms of um, philosophy, which is good. Mm. Uh, I, I'm always an advocate for, I love a good philosophical conversation. And I think you can't really, you can't really do theology without moving into philosophy where you start to actually think through, um, think through the, the implications of theology for yeah. beyond, beyond theology. What, what you need to do is always, especially on these two topics we're going to tackle in these yeah. next two episodes, eternal life and and, uh, and and eternal judgment, if you like. Yeah. And I've been vividly aware of how quickly we go beyond the theology of the Bible and move into philosophy on these topics. And we make assumptions, which may or may not be true, but we turn them into doctrine and dogma mm. and we assume they're true. And you've already alluded to a few of those. Eternal yeah. life in heaven. What's eternal life? Is yeah. heaven big? All good questions. Hard we, to really assume anything, though, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I was listening to someone describe the root word philosophy just on a podcast the other day, and I never really thought about it. But philo, Greek word is friend. Yeah. And and so, and sophie, sofa, so um, is sophos, which is wisdom. We, the, yeah, the name really so, cool. the name Sophia comes from wisdom. So it's a friend of wisdom. Nice. So philosophy is a search for wisdom. Is is wow. this desire to get wisdom? So yeah. I think it's it's good to wrestle through the, the maybes and the, the should this and could this be the case. But as as a pastor, I personally have a, of the belief that when it comes to forming doctrine, and doctrine is what I stand upon. Yeah. yeah. Doctrine is the the things that I will hold to that will be the the bottom foundation upon unmovable. which I build my, the unmovable things yeah. on which one I, I will build my life. And that's not to say that some of those things that I have founded as doctrine over years haven't. I haven't re- realized, well, actually, that wasn't really a very solid foundation. I have to get the jackhammer in there and rip up that part of the foundations <laughs> and put a new foundation down. So I'm, it's not like we build doctrine and we just go, this yeah. is it, we've arrived. That's how you end up with cancel culture. That's how you end up with fundamentalism where no one wants to change anything. Yeah. So I think it's good to be open to change, open to have your worldview, your foundations um, wrestled with, but at the same time, stay, uh, be aware that when it comes to forming up those foundations, Try to limit that to what I would say is theology. Try to limit that to what the Bible has to say. Yeah. Uh, by all means, guess and talk and build upon what if this happens, what are the implications of that? Do that, but don't form doctrine upon that. And you'll see yeah. that as we go through this conversation. So you, you talked about 
eternal life, for instance. He said eternal life in heaven. So describe to me, describe to me what you think. I know you were asking me questions, and you get plenty of chance to do yeah, that. Yeah, You've yeah. got pages and notes. When you think eternal life, you, you use the word eternal life in heaven. What what comes to your mind? What have you been raised to think about eternal life? It's, it's such a huge question, and it, before I answer the question. It's, it's a tricky one when you talk to non-Christians and they go, oh, yeah, so you're just going to die and be in heaven, la-di-da, for the rest of your life. How can you prove that? Yeah, sure. You know, which yep. which I always say, well, there's no proofing anything. It's mm-hmm. faith, you know. I really have no idea sure. if that will happen when I pass away. So you, yeah, um, you're basically not, not presuming to have evidence. But I guess my view of it is you pass away and your soul moves on to a place of peace okay, um, with Jesus mm-hmm. in heaven. That's, okay. that's what I was brought up to that's believe. That's what we're yeah. brought up to. Would it surprise you to hear that that view, which is almost, I guarantee most of our listeners would have been raised with that view, yeah. would, it be, would it surprise you to say that that is more in the realm of philosophy than it is in theology? Wow, that, it would that surprise whole, me. Mm, yeah, that... that, that to form up such a hard and fast doctrine about eternal life. Because basically, in a nutshell, this is probably being a little bit facetious, but in a nutshell, we die, we go around, we float on clouds and we, you know, worship Jesus forevermore in heaven um, for 10,000 years and then 10,000 years beyond that, forever and ever, amen. You know, well, bingo. Bingo. Now the, the the intercessors and those among you will go, that just sounds like wonderful. There's a lot of people. But there are a whole lot of people who go, Seriously? Am I going to be in a choir for eternity? I know. <laughs> it's got to be. And Amanda dropped the bombshell that we're not married. And <laughs> Oh, yeah, she and did. Was, that, that hit kind of hit me hard. <laughs> that hit you hard, right? <laughs> exactly. She did in that podcast around that when I talked about that. So as, as much as that sounds appealing to some, there'll be others that go, seriously, is that all there is? I know. And I would say, no, that's not all there is. Even as a worshipper, I don't know if I want to. If you, you, you want to be, just want to be in an eternal worship <laughs> meeting where your voice never runs out. Um. You know, I love a good worship meeting too, but I think that I would say that there are the that it's that and yeah that eternal life the picture of eternal life in heaven that the picture the the picture of eternal life that the Bible teaches first of all is not all about the afterlife. I'll come back to that. Remind me to come back to that. In okay, a moment, okay. But let's talk about after this life. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Bible does say some things about that. I don't think the Bible says enough to form a hard and fast doctrine that says what eternal life will look like. Okay. That it's all floating on clouds or it's all worshipping and giant prayer meeting forever and ever. There is a description of the streets of heaven and stuff. Yes, there is descriptions. houses. Yep. So there are descriptions of houses and all kinds of eating trees that... There, but but even then, I would argue that those description you're referring to is the book of Revelation is actually heaven when it meets I know, earth. I've heard that podcast. Right? You heard that podcast. Okay. <laughs> so it's not just heaven disembodied from the earth. The God's plan is this reunification of heaven and earth. So yeah, somehow yeah. the spiritual and the natural combining into one, going back to what Eden was like. So that's that's what I'd say that that it's not eternal life is not supposed to be this picture of disembodiment forever and ever. It's supposed to be re- we're resurrected in human bodies, mm-hmm. a glorified human body. That there is a picture in which this beautiful earth. We're not. We don't live just to escape this earth and and then never come back. We we live to bring. We live with this desire that one day heaven and earth will be reunited. So that's going to come wow. back to that part of it. That's something um, to chew on, isn't it? It is. This is this is huge <laughs> because we we form up a doctrine from philosophy and and ultimately our doctrine is well we got to be with heaven whatever that looks like, and we miss so much other stuff. 
And a lot of the stuff we form up and, and use as scripture is really just, a lot of it, you'd have to argue, if you look at it, it's probably just parables and descriptions. So it talks about, I'm going to talk about this in my conversation in what will be next week's um, next week's teaching yeah. and probably come up in the pod. It might come up in the podcast later on in the later on today when we record yeah, next yeah. week. But it'll certainly come up in my sermons around our philosophy of hell. To take the opposite, what does hell mm. look like? Oh gosh! So if we talk about what hell heaven is. What does hell look like? Because for instance, we think of people will go, well, hell is a place of you know fire and hell, fire and torment. And I go, but it also describes it as a place of outer darkness. How can you have a place that's got fire? You said that a couple of weeks ago. Did I? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And a place of outer darkness as well. You can't. So, so with all that in mind, I think we need to allow for the fact that with it, as we read these topics around judgment and eternal life and so on, that there is going to be space for the scriptures to use metaphors to explain something yeah. that we can't then build into doctrine and go, this is what heaven looks like. This is what eternal life looks like. I think that in the Bible, I would say, has a lot more to say about eternal life being something in this life than it does in something in the future. So is is like the description of doctrine, is that like an act? accurate description of the truth. Is that what doctrine, doctrine, what doctrine is? Yes. Do, yes. The doctrine is a, a set of principles upon which you build okay. your life. Um, that's a really good question. Let's, uh, yeah, let's just look really, it up. Let's just look it up. Are we going to use chat GGP? Uh, not at the moment. I'm just going to type in <laughs> definition of doctrine today. I still haven't. Doctrine is a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, a political party or other group. So, Yes, it's a set of beliefs upon which I would say it's a set of beliefs upon which one builds their worldview. Yeah. Okay. The way they live their lives. Okay. Yep. So that's what a doctrine is. Um, it would be closely linked to the word dogma. So it's something that we build upon. So that's what I'm saying is that I think when it comes to the, the doctrine of eternal life, people have built upon more than the Bible. Yeah. Okay. They've built another, it in the realm of philosophy. Another thing that I was thinking of was – I know in some of the previous podcasts about sin, there was a, a different sort of Jewish version of it. Yes. But is eternal life the same for? For everybody. Yeah. I think that I would say that a lot of Western Christians' view of eternal life in heaven, that is not the view that most of the church is predominantly held throughout most of time. Okay. And that will come as a shock wow. to some of our listeners. Yeah. I'm not saying it's it's not partially true, but I think when we make it, the sole purpose, like we said, the gospel is Jesus died for your sins and you say you can go to hell, heaven when you die. Yeah. That's really, it's one of the key phrases we summarize <laughs> down what Western evangelicals say, the doctrine of hell. If you are saved, gospel you, is, you will live forever. You'll live forever in heaven when you die. Yeah. That's, we've, I think that's giving it too much credence. Mm. And what, what we do when we miss that, which is back to probably your original question, I'm just trying to get through this life. And what I would say is that as we read the concept of eternal life theologically in the New Testament especially, I would I would like to posit that it actually has more to do with um, this life than it does to do with afterlife. Yeah. That the concept of a full life, Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yeah. Uh, that is actually this life. That's not a, that's the, the context there is not talking about after you die. It's talking yeah. about as a believer who follows me, as a Jesus follower, you will live a full, abundant life yeah. in this life. Eternal life is experiencing eternity and all the implications of that in your life right now. Mm. Why is that important? Because Kenny's just trying to get through the day. That's right. But what, I've got have a question though. It's like a bit of a what? What about, um, say, a mass murderer 
who gives his life to Jesus before he goes in the electric chair. Sure. Because I've had that question. That comes up with the that <laughs> that comes up in our judgment. That'll that'll come yeah, up well, in our sorry, judgment sorry message, to bring that up which now, is next one. That uh, you you so yes you want to. So really, like if you talk to a non-Christian about God, that might come up, and that and they it would say so. That will person up. that has lived an evil, horrible life yep. could give their heart yep. to Jesus, and after all that, and go to heaven. I would say yes, with lots of caveats. Um. Should we park that and talk about that? Yeah, let's park Let, it. Just write that down to bring that up in your judgment one in, the, yes, in next week's podcast do. because that is a really mm. valid question. In fact, okay. I've, um, I, I've addressed that in my message on the Sunday as All well. Right. So um, that, um, that's I'm going to be preaching that message at our Picton location via video. I'm going to be preaching it right. at Thoreau via a Q&A. So we're not, I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to take questions from the that's floor. A big one too. Because that's, that's a valid good question is because mm. that seems unfair, unjust. How can someone who's lived how can Adolf Hitler get saved if he that's it. Yeah, okay? What about the thief on the cross who lived a you know, all that kind of stuff. So we have to wrestle with that. These are questions that people find that non-believers I guess would find really easy just to pow, pow, fire yeah. at you. Well, if I'm honest and someone's and someone's lived a life like Adolf Hitler, if I'm honest myself, doesn't, I wrestle with that. Seem fair. It doesn't seem just. Just. Okay. So, and yet I know and I have to believe that God is just. So I need to do a bit more wrestle with the scripture and I will move into the realm of philosophy. So I won't build doctrine upon it, but I will come up with some philosophical reasons for how that might happen. If mm. a person is genuinely repentant, yeah, it's just saying, sorry, I'm enough. Or will there be some other form of justice? And I, I think the scriptures would say to me that there will be, while, while all sinners can repent, there's going to be, have to be some kind of restitution. There's going to have to be some kind of put, being put right. But I don't think the scripture really can answer that emphatically no. for us. Um, but let's park it, come back all to right. it. All How right, about so, we get started. Yeah, so when we talk about eternal life, I want you to be thinking about a lot of it around um, this life. Yes. You know, thinking about God wants you to have all the benefits of eternity in this life. In this life, yeah. okay. So we're going to get into some Joshua chapters Joshua today, chapter 2 is I think our we'll first be continuing chapter. Joshua in the next yep, podcast as well. So Fly so, through Joshua and then hit a bit yeah, of Mark. There's some pretty, the uh, pretty challenging challenging stuff, confronting stuff in these chapters. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Kenny's got pages of notes in front of him, folks. So we'll start with Joshua, Joshua two. 2. All righty. Let's go. Joshua 2. <laughs> my um, I'm mostly going from the NLT version, I think, okay. with my notes. So. I've got that in front of me too. And they always have their little uh, titles. Yeah, you like to refer to their titles a lot, don't you? <laughs> so this is Rahab Protects the Spies, which um, interesting little story about Rahab, a prostitute. Um, the first point I put was God can use anybody. Yes. God can use anyone. Yep. Um, I've got a question, what people lived in Jericho? Because I know that in some of the previous podcasts you've been talking about uh, towns and walls mm -hmm. and, yeah, I, I guess a little bit that of that's been answered. I guess one of my questions is why is it so important for the Israelites to go and Take places uh, okay. and move forward. Oh man, Get is, that, is that huge? Yes, it's huge. <laughs> I actually was listening to a podcast yesterday yeah. on this very issue between two very wise men who I like to listen to a lot, Mike Erie and Sky Jatani, and they were both commenting on the whole issue of uh, 
of the doctrine of um, the Jews annihilating, you know, and how does that fit with Jesus who says, turn the other cheek? You know, the whole doctrine Mm. of this whole idea of how the Jews went in and obliterated the promised land. Well, you've talked about a lot, like how there's a linking of the Old Testament. It's always people, but it's not exactly see, take, have, is it? Because it was in the name of the Lord. That they would, or yeah. they were told to do it. Yeah. Well, there's multiple schools of thought. It's probably is a little. I'm I'm not going to be able to do this justice yeah. in okay. the next couple of minutes. But I think as we head into Joshua, yep. which is, folks, it's it's whichever way you look at it, it's a violent book. Uh, it's not the sort of book you want to read as bedtime story to your kids. I mean, if, <laughs> you can might be Sunday school might be able to make the whole Joshua and the walls of Jericho, and Phil Vischer did a great job on the. VeggieTales years ago with the story of Joshua and the giant peach or whatever it was turning it into VeggieTales story. But <laughs> but these whole chapters are pretty, and judges for that matter, are pretty ferocious. It's it's God's yeah. people at war. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things I'd say. First of all, that is the culture in ancient Near East. Yeah. You know, they are warring tribes. They are city-states. They are cities with walls around them and maybe the farmland around them. And they, they're not a united nation. They're all fighting against each other for land and and if it wasn't them going against someone, it would be, be someone, someone going to take someone. them. It's just the culture yeah. they live in. Yeah. So that's the first thing is recognizing that we've got to take our lens off and put ourselves back in the culture and context, go, this is the context. The, but the pushback is, but the Bible tells us that God said, yeah, that's go right. and obliterate these tribes. To Joshua. To Joshua. Very clearly. Right. Yep, exactly. <laughs> right. So then we've, got to, we've, then we've got to wrestle with, okay, how does that, how do we view the scriptures? If we view the scripture as 100% literal right, like if our view of the scripture is every word is literally true in that sense, and that's called uh, the doctrine of um, infallibility or something like that. Yeah. Um, inerrancy, the doctrine of inerrancy, the, the scripture is without any error at all. Wow. Then, And that's a pretty common belief among most evangelical Christians and Pentecostal Christians that, um, you know, it's without any error in its text. So you have to say if God's, if the Bible tells us God said go and fight and destroy – you have to say, well, God said, go and fight and destroy. And that then leads you down that rabbit hole of going, well, okay, God said it. So why would God say that? Yeah. Why would God tell us to go and destroy Jericho, for instance? What was so bad? Like you said, who was in Jericho? What was so bad about Jericho? If you come from the view that go, this is an historical writing, this where God has chosen to partner with humans and he's, he's willingly um, st- t- still telling his story through fallible human beings, then it's possible that you could say, well, okay, God said... Uh, no, God never actually told them to go and obliterate everybody. They just thought God said that. Right. And so they thought they were doing the right thing. Within their culture, That was a, they were warring cultures. Because they that's thought, what they did. Because that's what people did. Yeah. They warred. So they thought they were doing the right thing. Now, those that hold to that inerrancy view are going to straight away call anyone who holds that view I just pronounced as a heretic. Because, oh, no, that's a slippery slope now. If you start saying the Bible isn't <laughs> totally without error, then you can make it say whatever you want it to say. Oh, so boy. you, you got to wrestle with massive that. can of worms, and it is a can of worms. I'm just saying, I'm not telling you what to believe here. I'm just saying yeah. this takes some, like theologians and philosophers wrestle with this stuff at length, and and I don't have a definitive answer. Yeah. If you had to tell me what I think right now, I'm probably slightly closer to the second point than the first point. I still believe that God has spoken through His Word, and it is His Word. But I'm quite comfortable with the fact that it doesn't have to be 100% error proof in order to um, to still be God's word. Yeah. In other words, I'm quite comfortable with the fact that these people thought they were doing something and God, maybe God did want to advance his kingdom. He did want to set up a nation, but they knew that much. They got that right. But maybe the method 
of going well, in. Sometimes and it was quite miraculous. Or yeah, sometimes it was. Yeah, was yeah. Like yep. Folk, yep. folklore, maybe. Yep. You know? Some of that could be it could be expand, extended into folklore. I talked about that with Amanda. Look a at these mighty ago. Israelites, yes. the people of that that God. Yes. So yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Maybe mm. actually, I haven't talked. I've talked about it with Amanda, but it's, it's coming up in yeah. future podcasts. We talk about what's folklore and all that kind of stuff. I think that was maybe it's a previous podcast. Now, the other thing I'd say about another thing, another thing I could add to that is whether that's the case or not. When we look at is God telling a people to go and obliterate a nation? There could be an aspect of judgment on this. So, okay. for instance, God God's judgment can seem harsh, but God's judgment is actually a sign of grace. It's like God says, okay, you've chosen your own way, and if you're going to go down that path, you're going to bring destruction to the world. You know, the sea, we talked about this yeah, with Jenny, yeah, the yeah. sea take and that brings death. Yeah. So these people, these are people who have this, these city states are at war with each other constantly. They're selfish. Sin is just going up through the roof. Yeah. And because of that, God says, "Right, enough's enough. I can't take any more of this." Not because so much you're harming him, but because if you keep going in this way, you're going to destroy each other. So it's like God removes His hand, and He allows judgment to come upon them. And it seems harsh, but it's probably in reality less harsh than if they were left to their own devices. To yeah, each got other. it. Okay. That does make sense. So and the people of Jericho were so... What kind of people were they? That was one of my so questions. So they're, they're Canaanites. They? They're so they're among, yep, they're among the Canaanites, which is a group of people, a people group that were in that land and growing in that land all the while that God's people are in Egypt. Yep. Okay. Because okay. this is... Abraham was in this land too. Then he enslaved left... Enslaved in Egypt. Enslaved in Egypt. Yeah. At the time they were living in Egypt prior to the Exodus, they were... And, and actually God says to Moses, um, no, sorry, to Moses, God says to Abraham, your people will be enslaved in, you know, live in a foreign land that's not their own country. But after 400 years, I'll bring them back to this place. And then he gives this interesting statement. He says something like, for the sin of the Amalekites has not yet reached its full measure. Okay. Uh, so it seems to be indicating that God is letting them go. But it'll get to the point where God says, okay, you're going to make this so bad for yourself. I, I'm now, as a just God, able to bring justice upon you. And it, it could just be his justice is his hand of protection being removed. If he takes his hand of protection away, the end result is it's destruction. And in the same way that Joshua here and the Israelites are going to be the instruments of that judgment yep. upon Canaanites, it's exactly the same philosophy that hundreds of years later, God will use Babylon and Assyria as instruments of judgment upon Israel and Judah. Wow. Okay. So God will often use other people as instruments of judgment upon other people groups. Is it God being consistent? In I think there's a consistency yeah. here. Okay. But you have to wrestle with turn That's the other huge. cheek. Don't get me wrong. You have to wrestle. <laughs> I'm not saying this is yep. what I, I've said this a few times lately. I have to get comfortable with the fact that there are some things I can't understand. Yeah. If I can understand everything about God, I've probably created God in my image <laughs> rather than me being created in well, God's image. Don't they image. say that you'll never understand I think so. as you go along? Yeah, I think that's, that's that constant that's of growth that. of life mm. is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. sometimes. doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with it. And if I'm honest, I, I, mean, I love reading a good I like reading Joshua and Judges because yeah. there's a part of me that loves a good action movie. I, That's you know, right. I, I like seeing John Wick kill 400 people on the stairs in Paris <laughs> and still get up and keep going. I, I like that. It's just my style. I like, so it's a bit like that reading these books. Yeah. But there's also a part of me that is deeply confronted by this because this seems harsh. Yeah. 
This is a pretty cool story though. And it is a long way back. So Joshua was Joshua was the next appointed prophet after, after Moses. Moses yeah. yeah. So we're talking about related. I think I did a little bit no, of No, not related, not different related. tribes. Yeah. But he was Joshua's he was Moses' aide for those forty years in the desert. Yeah. So he has had a lot long discipleship mentoring program. Right. And so was he sending the spies in to see how easy it would be to take Jericho over? Um so well, he sent you, some spies in to suss out the, the lay of the land. Well, let's, the, he, he actually says in chapter one, I think that's where, is it, or in chapter two where he sends them in? Secretly sent out two spies, spies from the okay. Israelite camp. So here's what he said. He instructed them, scatter the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. Jericho. So they set oh, out. So it wasn't just the, house the, of the city, it was the land. Yes. Yeah. So there's a direct link here. He's just saying, scatter out the land, check it out. But I think you have to see a direct link with Joshua sending out spies here into the land yep. with 40 years before Moses sent out 12 spies into the land. And guess what? Guess who one of those 12 spies was? Who? Joshua. Oh, is that when they saw the giants and stuff? Yes. And only two. And only two. Yeah. Guess Joshua who one of, one of the Joshua two? Joshua one of those two. <gasps> Boom. Yeah, suddenly. So it's like Josh is going, I'm not sending 12 out. <laughs> I, last time we sent out 12, that didn't work. So I'm going to two, two. Let's go with two because that worked last time. That's really cool. So, yeah. So it's like Josh is now going, I've learned that. So I think there's a direct link there in Joshua's mind between what Moses had tried to do 40 years before and what Joshua was doing yeah, now. Yeah, that's, okay. that's awesome. Now, I don't think it's a scouting journey with a view necessarily to, you know, we're going to kill every single one of them, but but they definitely do get pretty violent. So it sends them out. Yep. And why did they go to Rahab's house? Were they led there? It seems to me that like, so the it's like the king knows who Rahab is. You know, someone told the king of Jericho. Yeah. How do these people... Okay, so you need to put yourself in these shoes. These aren't massive cities. Okay. These are cities, I don't know, I'd have to ask an historian, maybe a thousand people. Right, yeah. You know, maybe. Okay. They're not huge. So everyone knows everyone. Everyone probably knows everybody. And maybe, there might not have been a whole people. troop of prostitutes. Uh, yes, that's <laughs> right. There might have been. Yeah, exactly. Well, that the whole prostitution life was very much a part of their life of that yeah. time um, in these cultures. You know, there were okay. That does put it yeah. a bit into perspective because I'm yeah. like, I was thinking a really massive, and and I may be wrong here. I'm just town, thinking about. I'm like, well, it seems like everyone knows who Rahab yeah. is, and and they've pinpointed her out, and the kings. Well, if she's knows. running, a, if she's running, she's a prostitute, but she may actually, yeah, she could be running a, a brothel. She could be the madame. She could be the madame. Yeah, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. We, we're speculating here. I'm just thinking maybe some of the cities are more than a thousand, but we're not talking we're not th- talking tens and twenties of thousands of people. We're talking about small city states that will often ally with each other. Yeah, because you can only fit so many people inside these walls. And as this cities. chapter go on goes on, she does a big speech towards the end, and she's she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, she does. So she she's not just and not that I would have anything bad to say about prostitutes, but she seems quite knowledgeable in. Yep. The doctrine. Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah. Which is So cool. we have to ask ourselves, is that being written to the story or is it, you know, yeah. and that's where the doctrine of inerrancy, or is that just the commentary on Rahab or did she generally think that? But she seems to, in, she seems to know something about these guys. Then she, they've been living across the desert for 40 years on the other side of the river. Yeah. They, the, Jericho is a border town. It's not far from the Jordan River. Yeah. So they've seen these people amassing on the other side of the Jordan for a long time. Right, so, so, this that, is, so this is why, because one of my questions was, um, were the Israelites banned from Jericho? Well, they weren't. They hadn't crossed the Jordan River at all. So, the, so this is the first time. This is it. This is God is literally. They've been living on the other side of the Jordan River, and this is the time Moses is dead. Now God's going to say, now it's time to take your promised land, yeah, and right. this is the first 
foray into, they're about to cross, cross the Jordan River, head west into the Promised Land. So okay. if you're looking at a map, uh, modern day Jordan is where they are, and the Jordan River splits straight down north to south from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, and they're just going to cross over that river into what is modern day Israel and the West Bank. And so this is this is their first foray. So if you're a, if you're a, a city state and you're looking across and you see hundreds of thousands of people on the other side, <laughs> you're a little bit concerned because it was a big army, that's for sure. Yeah, it comes up a bit yeah. later. I that's think that right. might be it for the that chapter All right. for me. Yep. All right. Let's move on to Joshua 3. Joshua 3. All right. Let's dive into Joshua 3, which is titled Crossing the Jordan. Now's the time. Now's the Cross time. Over. Yep. So I just was previously asking about what was beyond the Jordan yep. and Jericho, the promised land. Yes, that's right. It's was land that's ready to go. They're already uh, walking into. So it's a big moment for them because this they've been wandering the wilderness back and forth for They've been wandering long? the wilderness for 40 years, <laughs> 40 years and they've had this dream of this land, this promise has been there for the better part of 400 years. Yeah. from when God promised it to Abraham. That's in their story. That's been told from generation yeah. to generation. This land will one day belong to you. Yeah. So they've had 400 years to pre- prepare themselves for this moment. Yeah, because when I was reading this chapter, I was like, this is a big deal. You know, yes. I was thinking, and there's a lot of fanfare <laughs> that goes with this yep. uh, chapter about um, carrying the ark in and everything. I was going to say, because it says that you're not allowed to go near the Ark of the Covenant, 2,000 cubits. Mm-hmm. I think on a previous podcast you were saying that a cubit was from the elbow to the Yep, to the roughly. Of the finger. Either, f- in, either elbow to finger or elbow to wrist, basically. So 2,000 cubits is a pretty, <laughs> it's pretty a big way. area yeah, to yeah, clear Basically clearing arc. a kilometre around the Ark, yeah. give or take, yeah. And I know that on the you were talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and when they open it up on that movie yeah. and it melts the yeah. faces and yeah and jo- and later on we'll see you know people st- try to steady the ark or look into the ark yeah, and they die right. and all kinds of stuff yep and and I was just listening on the way here about atonement and the atonement cover, cover. yep and the mercy seat which I th- which I thought was very in- awesome yeah uh, just yeah it, this is of, the dwelling place of yeah. heaven on earth this is where God dwells it's His throne. Yeah, it's a it, it is a really big deal. Yes. And even when you were talking about the tabernacle and how just that last little room with just the yep. ark in it, that yep. was the most important. Yep, that's place. the heaven, that's the touchdown point of heaven yeah. on earth. Yep. The most holy place or the holy of holies. Yeah, so this story there was a huge fanfare, you know, 12 men from the tribes of Israel to carry the ark into the edge of the water. It mm-hmm. was like everyone would have been watching this and going, yep. this is a massive thing, which is, it's, you just have to say, this is like a, a big moment in history. This is really? for them. It's a huge moment. They, yeah. This is a, they, they're putting out, they're putting the ark before them. They're saying our God goes before us and yeah. they're making a big fanfare. They're, they're treating the Lord with a holiness or, or the respect that his holiness deserves. And very specific, like I was thinking about God talking to Joshua as Joshua like got his phone out taking notes because it's like, <laughs> all right, 2,000 cubits, you know, get the 12 men from the tribe, yeah. wade out into the water. Yeah, it's, all, know, it's all it's very prescriptive. Specific. It's yeah, very, it's very, very prescriptive. prescriptive. Yes, Which that's is right. a lot of the Old Testament stuff about the tabernacle. Yeah, exactly. It's, Think it's, about all that stuff Moses has had on the mountain. It's like build this with this many 
stakes and this yeah. many poles and this many this length of sheet and all that. It's very prescriptive. Yes, I I think this is one thing that maybe I would have just previously read through and just gone, oh yeah, that's cool. That's mm. that's what they're yep. up to. But now when when I read it like for to make notes, I was like, wow, this is a huge deal. Yep. And then what came next? The a flooded river. I, I'm not sure if they say how wide the Jordan is. Well, well, the Jordan would have been a lot wider then than it is now. Yeah. Um, but this is, uh, I think it probably says somewhere, or maybe I'm just assuming that because I've always been taught that the, the, the river was at flood time. Yeah. Well, it says a flooded, river. the flooded river. Okay. So the river's at flood. Okay. Yeah. So you would have, this is a, this is a river that you cannot cross the Jordan river. Even yeah. today, you're not, cro- you're not walking across the Jordan river even today. And there's a lot less water in it now because they, um, they agri, they use a lot of it for agriculture. They pump a lot of it out for agriculture all over the land of Israel. Um, but it's still a river that you're not crossing. Yeah. Uh, so I, you think you have to think a flooded river. It's probably flooded over its banks. It's several hundred meters. Yeah. Probably hundred meters pl- across probably. And in, um, verse seven. So it, as part of this huge story, it says like the Lord told Joshua today, I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. So not only is the scene set, God's, God's right in there saying, Hey, this is huge. You know, I'm going to use this happening. to, yeah. and there's a direct link here. Cause the one thing that really probably told the Israelites about Moses more than anything else was the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah. So yeah. that was like, they looked back and went, Oh God used Moses to part the Red Sea. I didn't even realize this happened. Till I Did got you? Into, okay. Yeah. I'd, I mean, cause right at the end, I'm like a flooded river piled up in a heap a yes. great distance away. Yes. Please explain. Please explain. <laughs> yes. Okay. There's four times waters are parted in the yeah. Bible. There's parting of the Red Sea. There's this story in Joshua. And then there's twice more, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha parts the Jordan River to cross over. And then Elisha, after Elijah gets taken up to heaven, Elisha parts it and goes straight back again four times. That's it. Then there's cool. one other story that's related to water. It's what Jesus when water, he didn't part the water. He just uh, walked yeah, on top yeah, of it, right? Yeah. But there's probably five stories in, in this in this. So way. did they say that the parting of the Red Sea may have been tidal? Titles that is the, uh, is there like descriptions? Uh, well, that's do people you, try and explain? Yeah, people do try and explain yeah. it. They say it's the Reed Sea. It wasn't really that high, but the problem is, if that's the case, you got to read the biblical account. You can't drown the entire Egyptian army in three feet of water. So something more is going on. You can't and pile this, up a you can't pull river. up a flooded river either. <laughs> so this is a significant event. Yeah, this is a a Genesis moment again. This is a baptism moment later on. Later on, John the John the Baptist is going to take people down to the Jordan River, to this same spot, and he's going to baptize them. Oh, really? Because he's calling a new Israel. Oh, he's wow. calling people back to the place where they first crossed the into the Promised Land, and he's calling them back to that same spot. And he's saying, "Come back here, be baptized into new life, into the new Promised Land." So Man. John the Baptist is is riffing off this. That's cool. Okay, so. Jordan River, it's parted and it's it actually banks up all the way back to a town called Adam. Really? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> Did you see that? I s- didn't see that. Uh, yes. I'm looking at this because there's 16, a lot of big the water, speeches were going on. The water know. above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, like which is near Zarethan. Yeah. It's a long yeah. way up. Yeah, cool. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea. Wow. I think there's a. It's all linked. I think there's a picture here. <laughs> I think there's a picture of when God's presence. Uh, this is just my oh, yeah, philosophy, yep. my commentary. I'm not saying this is doctrine, but I wonder if this is a poetic picture of the nature of sin. Yeah. The fact that it calls the town Adam, wow. 
and the progression from Adam, wherever this town is up up river somewhere, the water flows from there to the Dead, Dead sea, sea, to a place of death, the lowest place on earth where nothing lives. Whoa. And into that progression of death from for, for Adam, from Adam to death, for humans to death, God's presence, his ark comes into the middle of that Whoa. and parts it, separates it out and allows God's people to take a different route. So they don't end up in the Dead Sea. I think there's a picture there for us. That's huge. That's what Christ does. On the cross, he comes and parks himself in the middle of the procession towards death for every human being, defeats the power of death and offers us a different way into the promised land. Wow. I think that's what's going on. It's awesome. I'm trying to find the speech. There were some speeches and stuff going on about how, you know, from this day on. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's up further up, isn't it? Today you will know that living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites. And all the other rites. <laughs> yeah. These are all the Canaanite tribes. Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Yeah, it's cool. So this is great. This is like a, a rallying call. This is like William Wallace rallying the yeah, troops. Yeah, this is like a big movie scene. <laughs> this is a movie it? scene. <laughs> or, or like, a, you know... Aragorn saying, you know, in Lord of the Rings, call it rallying the troops <laughs> yeah. to fight. That's what this is. This yeah. is a rallying call for God's people. And they're all going, yes. This is something that some famous painter would paint the scene of. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They're all going, let's do this. And you got to see in the next chapter, they're ready to go and they cross over. And then the very next thing they have to do is they have to get circumcised. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like, couldn't you have circumcised on the other side of the river where we were safe? Why put us over there into the promised land and then tell us to get circumcised where we're at the mercy of our enemy? But I don't know if I say anything about that. Oh, we'll so, come back to that. Okay. Yeah. I think we should move on to Joshua 4. We should move 4 on to Joshua 4. Okay. Joshua 4. Joshua 4. So I have to apologize. We realized just in the break <laughs> that the circumcision story is in chapter 5, which we're not going to do, so you'll have to read that. But suffice it to say, they waited until they crossed the Jordan River, then they had to circumcise the Glad themselves. I wasn't there. Glad you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a preacher many years ago talk about this. Oh, he's saying, oh, you know, uh, old, old uh, you know, the, the Jewish Jewish guys crossing the promised land. Oh, this is going to be amazing. He goes home to his new bride and says, oh, I've just been at this pep talk with Joshua. It's amazing. We're crossing. The, it's going to be amazing. We're going to, our first night in the Reds, our first night in the promised land, darling, it's going to Bring be awesome. On. She's going, oh, come on, honey. And he goes, and then he's, oh, but before I do, Joshua's calling us. <laughs> and he walks home that night. Limps home. And he limps home that, he limps home that night. She's all excited for a romantic night. He's been circumcised. <laughs> It's awesome. Sounds like a far side. It does sound like a far side story. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're not talking about Joshua 5. We're talking about Joshua 4. Joshua 4, um, the army of Israel, 40,000 men arrived for battle. So one of my questions was how big was the nation of Israel at this time? Uh, we don't know for certain. There's conjecture around it. But if there's 40,000. 40,000 men. Well, we know from... Men the, of age, I suppose. So we know from the book of Numbers, yeah. there's a count. There's a count of the book of Numbers um, at the time. Well, I won't have it at the top of my head, but there's there's two there's two um, censuses. Is that plural of census, censuses or sensei? <laughs> sensei. <laughs> sensei. There's two censuses in the book of Numbers, I think. One early on in the 40 years and another one towards the end. And I think you'll find that there says something to the effect of there's 600,000 fighting soldiers, something like that. Now, with these numbers, 
in ancient cultures, they they tend to round up. They tend to, this, this is trash talking in many ways. This is okay. one of those things where you've got to go, is it literal or not? Yeah. Okay. Is it actually literal amount or not? Um, but you know, it could be, and I'm okay with it if it is, but I'm also okay, okay with it's not. Because if you look at all the ancient Near East cultures, they all trash talked. They all talked up their numbers. They wouldn't have had a not clicker. Not pastors ever do that. They wouldn't have had a clicker, <laughs> clicker. as they walk well, That's right. Walk past, everyone goes underneath. <laughs> pastors never trash talk the size of their church, do they? But, uh, you know, but that's what they did. They all kind of said, oh, we obliterated everybody and we annihilated yeah, okay. everyone. And it's just that part of the standard rhetoric of the times. So it may have been 600,000 soldiers, but it may not have been. It may have been 40,000 in this case. It may not have been. Yeah. But I think you have to think it's a lot of people. It's like someone saying, how many times the MCG full of people would that be? And yeah, just, well, 40,000 is half, yeah. you know, it's like basically <laughs> the SCG full of soldiers. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a pretty big fighting force. Yeah, it is. You know, if you're going into a promised land, going to the promised land, and you're taking on a whole bunch of city-states of a few thousand each, it's a pretty big fighting force. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the river is parted. Um, they go into the middle of the Jordan and um, – in front of the ark of the Lord your God, each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Does that mean they're still there? <laughs> well, there you go. That's, that's what you got to think. Is it literal or not? Well, the answer is probably we know. We've never found these memorial stones. They may have found a later stone, they think. They don't know that Joshua uses. Does this happen again, This these 12 stones to mark? I know they mark different places with monuments. Yeah, it's a standard practice. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't always 12, was it? This no, is more no. like the 12 tribes. This is the 12 Judah. tribes. He's basically, he's chosen one representative from each of the tribes. Yeah. And he said, grab a stone. You guys represent your tribe. Let's build a monument for that reason. So that's a standard practice. These days we would, you know, we wouldn't necessarily, well, we do build monuments yeah. and pull them down. Um, but we also have, you know, more written language and, and that kind of stuff. So it's it's there as a, a visual reminder that when they're walking, you know, a generation or so later, they're supposed to be able to walk past that spot and a little, little uh, you know, little Jewish boy says, hey, grandpa, <laughs> you know, what's all that? And he goes, let me tell you about that. I was there. Yeah, that's yeah, the idea. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they've walked through. The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua carried out. Yep. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed and when everyone was safely on the side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Did I say anything about a half-tribe? Uh, did I ask didn't. you that question? No, I don't think Has you did. Yeah. No, we haven't asked that question. So, so there's three tribes, well, th two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad and half tribe of Manasseh, uh, two and a half tribes of Jews who decide that they like the east side of the Jordan. Ah, right. Okay. So they wanted to stay on the east side, which is where they are yep. because they've conquered oh, some right. land over yeah, that yeah, side. Yeah, and they okay. said, we like it over here. And Joshua basically, to put it in a nutshell, Moses and Joshua say, well, Moses first and then Joshua later says, you can stay here, but you need to come across and help your brothers and sisters get their land too. Nice. So they build pens, they leave uh, probably a skeleton force behind, they build yep. they build pens and cities, you know, and then they forts for their families. Then the army goes across and they lead the way across and say, we've got our promised land now, you're gonna, we're going to help you. And so they're basically helping the other ten and a half tribes. Beautiful. So that's all. It's just, I don't know what it means, half, half of a tribe. But, you know, probably half the clans of the tribe decided they liked that side. Yeah, cool. Okay, that's all that means. You'll see it quite often, half tribe of Manasseh. And if you half look at a map of, of the tribes of 
the tribes of Israel at this time, you'll see that there is land on both sides of the Jordan River for Manasseh. Nice. Okay. Have you been, so you've been to the Jordan River? Yes, I've been to the Jordan River. Yeah. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah, Have yeah. You've been to the spot dri- where John. Uh, the traditional spot. There's two traditional yeah. spots for the baptism, but I think one's up in Galilee and then there's one down um, by the sort of right down closer to the Dead Sea. And I've driven, I don't know if I've driven past it exactly, but I've followed the Jordan River pretty much all the way down from Galilee, all the way down to Dead Sea, because it's the way you go when you drive your car. Is that part of the tour? Yes, that's part of the tour. We will drive that route um, one way or another, north north to south or south to north. And you go down through Masada and En Gedi and Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's all down there. Nice. Yeah, swim in the Dead Sea, float, I should say float in the Dead Sea. Yep. Is it very salty? It's incredibly salty. You do not want to get it in your <laughs> eyes, Kenny. Believe me, I got it in my eyes. My daughter and I decided we'd play a game where we were floating. Oh, really? And we backed up next to each other and we thought we'll, we'll spring our feet together and then we'll push each other away with our feet. Like, Wow. And we pushed too hard and Beck kicked me in the face, kicked the water straight into my eyes and uh, just let's just say it's not Ooh, fun. Wow. It's very salty. That's about it for That's Joshua it. 4. For me, it just ends in, you know, it goes on to say that this this act made Joshua yeah. a big, powerful man like Moses. Exactly. And, so this is God using this to reinstate faith that, hey, God's not finished with you yet. Yeah. Mo- he's appointed Moses as your, he's appointed Joshua to replace Moses as your leader. Yep. yep. All yep. right. So that's Joshua 4. Now we're going to miss the circumcision story. That's a bit, a bit mean of me. It's a great well, maybe story. Maybe it's got nothing to do with eternal life. <laughs> <laughs> or well, does it? Paul has a lot to say about circumcision and eternal life in the New Testament. He would say you don't need to be circumcised. Okay, so we're going to skip to Joshua Joshua 6. six. Okay. Whoops, I think Kenny was talking there when I pressed the unmute button. So. Saying about how I'd, I could do with a little bit font, bigger font. I've only got 22 I could do with 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenny, I just enlarge it on my iPad, so I can't talk. <laughs> I'm old school. I have pieces I, of paper. You do. I actually have my iPad at maximum font on the new version, and it's still a bit blurry, <laughs> but I can make out the words. I love it. Okay, here we are in Joshua 6. How are you all going out there in podcast land, enjoying... Enjoying a little the chat. The spoils of Joshua. The spoils of Joshua. <laughs> We're about to see the fall of Jericho. That's right. So I put in here at the start, I wanted to note. Kenny's got actually got the page. Would you like me to hold the page over here? Is that help <laughs> yes. you, Kenny? His, his arms are as long as they possibly can be and he still can't this read is, it. So. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I wanted to note that at the end of Joshua chapter 5, the commander of the army of the Lord, do we know who he was? Question mark. Ah, yes. Turned up and told Joshua he was standing on holy ground. Right. Yes. We're going straight to the end. So tell us, tell the viewers what's going on. Tell the viewers, tell the viewers and the listeners what's what's going on. Do you know the story? No, or, I don't know if I do. Okay. So Can Joshua. You fill us in? Yeah, I'll fill you in a little bit. So Joshua has um, just circumcised the army. They've oh, been right. in recovery. <laughs> and <laughs> this has been in their recovery phase. And now it's time to uh, to do their first battle against this first city they reach, the ah, city yes, of Jericho. It, yeah. And so the night before the battle, Joshua goes out for some prayer. He's probably preparing his heart going, God, if you don't show up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and he meets this soldier. He meets this, this being, this Ooh. being who presents be an himself. Angel? An angel. Yeah. It says, it actually, what's it called him? The, the, what does it actually call him? What verse are we at? The line. 
Uh, where is it? Are you sure it's not in the end of the previous chapter? Maybe it's at the end. I reckon it's the end of the end previous of chapter, which is probably why you're asking it. Yes. So it says, let me just read. So this is the end. Is, is the angel the commander of the army of yes. the Lord? Okay. So yes. listen, we're just going to skip back to chapter five after all. It's part yep. of its circumcision. And then this is an important moment because this is going to lead us into the battle. Yeah. It says, when, verse 13 of Joshua 5, when Joshua was near the town, town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Yeah. Joshua went up and demanded, are you friend or foe? Whose side are you on, basically? <laughs> are you for us or against us? He's actually, the, and the guy goes, I'm not actually for or against you. He said, I'm commander of the Lord's army. The question to Josh is, who are you for? <laughs> is what he's saying. He's not, I'm, a, I'm not for you. Are you for me? You know, I'm commander wow. of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. That's I'm at it. your command, Josh said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now, what was your question? Who is he? Well, yeah. So the commander of the army of the Lord, Who we, do we know who he was? Right. Okay. So theologians discuss who he was. Was it an angel? Was it Michael, who seems to be like the archangel? They discuss a lot, these theologians, they, they, they do. They? Okay. <laughs> I think there's a little hint in the text. What's the command? Commander, is it? What's the command? Yeah. No, let's, what's the command that the, the, the guy gives to Joshua? Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Remember where you've heard that before? Well, my next question was, why did he have to take his sandals off? Okay. Was it um, the burning bush? Yeah. Yeah. So who said it to Moses? Take off your sandals. Was that Gabriel? No. Who was no. in the tree? Who was in? Who, who's the Moses? The Lord having, himself. Yeah. Ooh. So God is having a conversation. Yahweh. He referred. I am who I am. Wow. When he's talking to the burning bush, yeah, he's talking directly to Yahweh. I am has sent me to you. I think you're supposed to see that this commander of the Lord's army is the Lord Himself. Wow. And theologians will then go on and speculate: Could this be? Jesus. Wow. Could this be a pre-incarnate Jesus? Wow. Could this be Jesus Well, it doesn't prior? say anything about him having wings, does it? No, it doesn't say. What, no. why, why do you say that? Because angels have wings? You mean? Sorry. Yeah, for Angels don't have wings, by the way. <laughs> oh, Not the human form angels. There are <laughs> angels that have wings, but they're the seraphim and the cherubim. These dudes. They glow. They, most of the angels in the Bible don't have wings. Okay. Contrary to popular opinion. There you go, listeners. There you go, listeners. Kenny had a preconceived idea you of that. You did. You had a philosophy. Well, they might be tucked away. Yeah, and well, that's, just... based on, that's based on the Renaissance art, which is actually a based upon Greek Greek mythology. Oh, wow. So, no, most of the angels, there's, there's one reference to some kind of beings having wings in the book of Zechariah or Zephaniah. But apart from that, wow. angels appear as, generally appear as men without wings. So um, this could have been Jesus saying, hey, Josh. Yep. Are you on my side? I think so. Wow. Um, I think scholars, I think there would be not 100% consensus, but I think there'd be pretty strong consensus that this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, but in any case, it seems to be the Lord. Awesome. Yep. Okay. That's who this dude is. Now, that was in the end of Joshua 5. Yes. Over into well, Joshua is, 6. Is taking your sandals off a common thing back then? Yeah. So, And it still is. In many cultures today, you go to Thailand in Buddhist culture, you take your shoes off as a sign of respect uh, yeah, before you go right. into a temple. So it's, I mean, I'm glad that we don't take our shoes off at the door in church, but. There'd but be a lot of shoes. Someday. There'd be a lot of shoes stored and there'd be a lot of smell in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it is a sign of respect in that culture to take your shoes off. Right, yeah. So then they were told to do some pretty specific things. The yep. Lord, uh, one of my questions is when the Lord says to Joshua, is he receiving prophecy from God? Yeah, good question. I love the way you think. Yeah. We don't know. 
Oh, what this a, looks like. These are pretty specific instructions. Mm-hmm. I, I was when I was reading, I'm like, this is really cool and not something that you would just think of. Hey, what's our strategy going to be? Yeah, because they march around the walls seven times. Yes, yeah, six times, yep. and then on the seventh time, they march they around yell. seven times. The, then they uh, yell. seven times, and yeah. obviously, I'm like significant number. Yeah. Yeah. Was seven government or seven's or completion? Completion. That's right. Seven's completion. Very good, Kenny. Yeah. So I think in the, the text that here seems to be that, you know, he's just, the Lord has just appeared to Joshua. So I reckon when it says the Lord said to Joshua, you're supposed to have an implication here that, that God is speaking face to face and giving Joshua these directions. Later on though, God will speak to people through prophets and through, you know, other people and through wisdom of many, having counsel and all that kind of stuff. But this seems to be a direct command to Moses, to Joshua in the same way God probably largely spoke directly to Moses. Yeah. And could they, if they were quite a big army and it was just a small town, couldn't they have just like smashed it down? Or? I think so. But any time you come near a city, a city is, you know, you probably amp up your protection. You amp up your numbers equivalently by probably a factor of 20 by the time you move into a city because you're inside uh-huh. the walls of a city there's moats, there's high walls, so you're going to lose a lot of soldiers assaulting a city. I'm getting a deja vu. What? what do you, just like that. We've spoken about this. What Have do you we? think about deja vus, Ron? Uh, what do I think about deja vus? Do you ever get them? Like when uh, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, not the way oh, I feel like I've done this them. before. A lot of other people get them. And I, what I you're explaining to me. Maybe because I've, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. I may have explained it to you in a previous podcast or something. <laughs> but yeah, in a city, it's you're safe. So a smaller a smaller crowd could be safe inside a city against the larger crowd. That's why yeah. in ancient times, ancient warfare, they would often not attack a city. They would besiege a city. Wow. Which is to cut off the supply lines. Until they starve. Until they starve themselves out. Yeah. Wow. Because they realise, why, why are we going to lose all our soldiers against this city? There might be a smaller force inside, but hey, they've got the high ground. Yep. So let's just starve them out. Wow. Yeah. So on the seventh time, after the seventh time, yep. they shout. Yep. So they, they go around once a day. Six days yep, and six don't days, say a word. Don't say a word. Go around seven times on the seventh day, but they don't say a word the seven times they walk around. And at the very end. They shout. And the walls of Jericho. Come tumbling down. Come tumbling, tumbling down. down. Is that tumbling, a song? It is a song. <laughs> and the walls of Jericho come tumbling. I can't remember how it goes. And then um, to put it mildly, listeners, they destruct everything. Yes. <laughs> except some except, devo- except some devoted things. Yes. Do not take devoted things or things set apart for destruction. Yes. And um, is there like a list of them that they were, would have had, although they just know? Um, was there an order in what they burned and kept for Joshua 7, I think? Well, where's the, where is the, d- where's the actual scripture? Um, Joshua, just so I can see what it says do not verse 18 do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed you'll bring trouble on the camp of israel mm. everything made from silver gold bronze or iron is go. sacred to the lord and must be brought into his treasury when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns they shouted as loud as they could so there's a direct replication saying you destroy the city but anything that's anything of value belongs to the lord yeah, It'll okay. be refined and brought into his treasury. So that's the command for Jericho. It's not the command for every other city they're about to take, but it is for the first city. And everything in it must be completely destroyed. And as an offering to the Lord, only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared. Yes. Because she protected because the spies. Because she protected the spies, yes. Wow. 
So she had a, a, a scarlet cord hanging out the thread out the window, like a rope that she'd let the spies down on. She yep. left it out the window and that was how they identified her section and they protected her. And Rahab will later be in the line of Jesus. She marries into the line of Judah really? and she's one of the four women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Wow. Rahab. That's cool. Yep. It's all interlinked. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba. And Mary, that's wow. it, I think. I must say this, I only listen to this podcast to listeners. I know I'm not one of those guys that listens to millions of podcasts. Oh. I actually just listen to this one, but I feel like it's um, brought the stories of the Bible and the way they link up. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to say something like, it's like someone's sprinkled pixie dust on it and all of a sudden or <laughs> it's suddenly come to all life. of a sudden it's like in peter pan where they're pretending to eat and all of a sudden peter pan can see the food that's awesome for me so it's made the whole story of the bible sort of broader whereas maybe i've read it with just just as a story yes each individual gone, oh, story wonder why and then yeah. now it's all sort of starting to link up with this massive that's great theme, kenny that's huge because that that's the whole, when the Bible Project talk about it being a unified story that points to yeah. Jesus. And this is it. They're building upon story, upon story, upon mm. story. Because this is their, this is their worldview. This is their culture. We all, every day we speak on our experience from previous experiences that we have and we build them into our culture, which is how society and culture yeah. is built. So that's what these guys are doing. So it is linked. It's amazing. And it, and it, it kind of makes me a little bit emotional because I prayed for this. Like years ago, I'm like, I'm trying to read the Bible and I'm like, why is it just not lighting up for me? Kenny, you're making my day. You know? Because that's what the and, purpose and of this now, podcast was now about. I'm, I was driving here today and I'm thinking, it's actually, I'm not like, I'm obviously not understanding it fully, but I'm getting this bigger picture of the that's whole awesome. massive story and oh, Kenny, what it means to me, which is that's fantastic. awesome. Well, that's why I say in the intro, something like, you know, people will just go, it's all because it's too hard and put it down. Yeah. Wait, what? Or you Where can is, just read it over and over again and... and miss the best bits or yeah. without really looking into it and the putting best things bits are in often context the, and, the context the yeah. best bits are realizing that one story is built upon another to build a theme which points to jesus that's it yeah and so that's what we're going to see here is rahab is that she's one of these women who is not even an israelite ends up marrying into the tribe of Judah and is one of four women in the new testament yeah. that's listed in the line of jesus line of jesus out of 60 men and four women and she's and one she of them. was really, she was just obedient. She was obedient. Yeah. Trusted God. Yep. That's, that's right. So it's an incredible story of this, that they are told this is the first city. Yeah. It belongs to God. This principle of firsts, you give, give the first to God, give your yeah, first fruits okay. to God. That's what they're supposed to be doing here. Ah, this is like saying, this it. is the first city. There's going to be plenty of other cities where you can reap the spoils. Yeah. But you got to remember, it is Deuteronomy six verse eight or eight verse six or something says it is the Lord who gives you power to make wealth. Yeah. Okay. So this principle of we need to remember that God gives us everything we have. That is why you're to give the first fruits, the first of these sacred things, is supposed to come to God. You're not supposed to keep any of this for yourselves. Wow. But they do. One guy does. One guy does. <laughs> One guy does. And that's why it's such a significant judgment because it's. It's supposed to be showing the importance of trusting God. Mm. Yeah. Well, what happens next in this story is pretty harsh. They um, they destroy everything except those things, people, animals. Yeah. So I will I will say one thing on that. 
is that what, this is where some of that trash talking comes in. You see it in other cultures, and I think you see it here too. You'll see it. It'll say things in the book of Joshua and Judges, like they completely destroyed and left no one alive. Yeah. You'll turn the page to the next chapter, and it'll say there's a remnant of people from that. City. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you hang on a sec. Either destroy them or you didn't. What's going on here? And I think it's trash talking. It's a way of saying yeah, we, okay. we obliterated you. And that's I'm not just saying yeah, that. You've said that history before, says that. That the ancient cultures all say that. So. It's just part of this. We obliterated you, but no, not really. We oftentimes it was subjugation. It was just the culture they yeah, lived okay. in. Yep. And then um, Joshua invokes a curse. In uh, where are we at? Verse Towards 20, the end of twenty-six. Six, yep. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho at the cost of his firstborn son. He will lay its foundation at the cost of his younger son. He will set up its gates, which is pretty harsh curse as well yep. and later on in the book of kings we're going to see so would joshua have been standing around this burning town and probably did a little speech and probably said, yeah bah, bah, bah. yep <laughs> later on in the book of joshua uh, kings there's going to be a king who king of israel who re- wants to rebuild Jer- jericho and yeah. it says at the cost of his firstborn son he rebuilt it wow and so he sacrificed his son or something happened that um was a fulfillment of this yeah awesome that's all I had for Joshua 6. Joshua I love that little bit about Rahab prostitute. Yeah. That's because that's what I said right at the end. She was spared and so let's, for a reason. So let's put that all together. So yeah. What can we learn out of that? What does that show us? Regardless of all these questions about judgment and whether or not we think that the judgment seems harsh on these people, there's a redemption. There's an as- aspect. There's always a redemption. That's right. This God who, regardless of what you think about this whole idea of a bringing judgment upon a and town alliteration. is is willing to find that that one one he's willing to find that one Rahab and her well, there's family there's always one really it's, isn't there just like we talked to Jenny about Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham talks to Sodom and Gomorrah and says what if there's 50 what if there's 40 yeah. what if there's 30 what if there's 20 what if there's 10 and he stops I wonder if Abraham just like wow. we see would have said what if there's one is that linked to the 99 and going back forward yeah I think so I think Jesus is always looking for the remnant that shows me something of the heart of God, that he's not a cruel, vindictive God. As much as we have to wrestle with the philosophy and the hardness of judgment, and we've spent a lot of time on that topic over the last several yeah. couple of months in our in our preaching themes, let's not lose sight of the grace yeah. of God, that he is always after the one. And no matter how unworthy you might feel. Yeah. This is a prostitute. God will never this find is, you. This is a woman like who's... you been, are that one to God. Yep. Always. Amen. Oh, I like that. That's, that's what we should be thinking, focusing on as we wrestle with the Beautiful. complexities of this. So where are we going now, Kenny? We're going to Joshua 7, which is our last, last one in Joshua. chapter of Joshua. Joshua 7. I've forgotten how to pronounce this. So um, it's a, a lot of this is about a man named Achan. Well, we say Achan. 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 My, my past used to say Achan was Achan to sin, which is really <laughs> bad actually. But anyway, I think you probably, the Hebrews would probably say something like Achan. 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 That's easy for me to say right now. <laughs> you could say that throat. now with your throat, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Achan had, so some of those dedicated things that yes. they weren't allowed to destroy. Weren't allowed to take for themselves. To take for themselves. Yep. Achan had stolen some of these. And the Lord was very angry with the Israelites in general because of that. Mm-hmm. Achan was the son of, oh, there's lots of names here. 
Kami, Kami, Kami Zimri, Zimri tribe, tribe of Judah. So this dude is in the family of Judah, Jesus' line. Uh, mm-hmm. So this alludes to the next battle, does it? Because of what this guy had done? Yes. So the next battle is after they've done Jericho, they're going to move on to the next town. Yeah. One of my questions was why must they take all the towns? It's just what they, they're, t- it, they're moving through the they're land. They're moving this through the land. This is their promised land. And this is their promised land. They're taking them. And yeah. basically all of Joshua and Judges is going to be about this. It's the conquering of the land. It's the taking of this land. And you know, it's beyond the scope of this conversation, as we've already said, to talk about all the wrongs and rights of that. But that is yeah. what's happening. This this is the nation of Israel claiming this land for themselves. Yeah, okay. Under, under the Lord. So they get to a, a town called Ai. 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 I think East they Bethel. say Ai. Yep. And they pretty much say, oh, this is going to be pretty easy. This isn't easy. This is only a little town compared to the last one. <laughs> last it. one we didn't do. All we did last time was walk around and shout, this is going to be easy, <laughs> Lord. Right. Hey, Josh, don't worry about sending them all up. They're just, just a few of us. Just 3,000. Just 3,000. Yeah. We needed 40,000 last one. We walked around, wasted our time. to Just give us 3,000. We'll be right. <laughs> it's almost like an arrogance is settling in already. Sound, And they were soundly defeated. Yes. And that, so my next question is, they must have ripped their clothes because what do you know about the the tearing of clothing, throwing dust on your heads, and bowing face down before the ark of the Lord. Yeah, so it is a it's a practical description of grief, yeah, pain, suffering, which wow. you can almost understand. Yeah, you feel like your heart is breaking. You grab your clothes and you tear them apart. But I also think um, they wouldn't have just had like a lot of clothes made in China or whatever. Like it would have been hard to make clothes back. Hard then. to make clothes. So back they've then. just gone. So well, it's an ultimate sign of grief. Which we could build into that our doctrine of grief that maybe we don't treat grief seriously enough. If they're prepared to rip their clothes, and this was to the defeat. This is at the defeat. Yeah. They're absolutely in dismay. Their dust on their heads is like I don't know all the theory, but we, you know it's just a sign yeah. of grief and loss and mourning. Okay. Um, that oh, is, it's the same as ashes. Ashes. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. It's this sense of, and the high priest at Jesus' testimony also rips oh, his clothes. Yeah. So it's even okay. there. Now they weren't supposed to. That's the problem. Is he? He was supposed to treat the high priestly garments with super, super diligence. You shouldn't have, he shouldn't have ripped those. He was in violation of God's law by doing that. But there's this sense, and I think probably some cultures still do this kind of ripping and tearing. You'd see it in some Middle Eastern cultures today. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a sign of grief, loss, you know, woe is me kind of thing, which I understand. They've just sent 3000 soldiers up there and they've been soundly defeated. They're thinking, hang on, we just won. We just defeated Jericho without a fight. We're in trouble here. What's going on? Yeah. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. Mm. My, my next thing in notes was, then Joshua and God have a bit of a heated conversation about what <laughs> went wrong. Like ha ha. <laughs> oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd be content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that the Israelites have fled from its en- Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they'll be surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And when that happens, what, then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But it's like, it's like Joshua and God are doing a podcast yeah, here. It is, isn't it? I love, look, I love, I love God's answer to Joshua. Get up, get up. Why, Why are, are you lying, lying on your, your face? face like this? <laughs> Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. Yeah. And so I put a really big hoo-ha for a couple of special things, but often a small sin. That's the point. Is a, 
Yeah. It's, it is a big sin. It's small sin. It's small so, sin, but against God, it's yeah. a big sin. And other, other people will steal things and get away with it. So there's a direct yeah. link here between this story and the story we did at the end of, for those that managed to survive five hours and 12 minutes of the podcast with Jeannie, <laughs> we did Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a direct link That's here. Right, yeah. these, are, these are origin stories. These are Genesis stories. Yeah. I mean, I've known people who stole money from the church and they didn't get struck dead. Yeah. And yet that happened then. I think we have to see this as God is setting a precedent. He is trying. He says you've, you're treating the things that are holy as no, they're, they're, as though they're not. So there is significant consequence for this sin, because well, there sure is for Achan. There is for Achan and his family. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of that. That's once again, this is we're talking about eternal life, not eternal judgment in this podcast. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap here. But this story, friends, for, for those that don't know, this story will go on, and Achan will have to repent. They find out that he's. They find out through. Casting they lots. go through all the tribes, yep, tribes and stuff. And they find and out that Achan has stolen the stuff. Two hundred silver coins and a bar of gold. Yep, that's it. He said, "I wanted it, so I took it." Ooh. This is the same thing. I saw it. You look at the language. I saw it. I wanted it. I took it. It's here in this story, and he has buried it. And he, um, as a result, he will pay the price, and his family will pay the price. Yeah. So they got. I put once again. So oh, I, I actually put Achan must have been crapping his dax <laughs> because he's. <laughs> I mean, he's been found out and he must have, he, w- he would have known what's yes. going to happen to him. Well, yeah, you'd think that he would have known. He was yeah. hoping he could get away with it. Yeah. But so the end result stoned, of this sin is death. Family burned their yep. bodies. Yeah. And then it says, I, and after this, the Lord was no longer angry. Yeah. Which is all pretty harsh. It's, it's, ch- it's tough language, isn't it? Mm. So if we can put it back in its context and just go, okay, this is culture at the time, you're and you'll have to wrestle with this, friends, because this doesn't seem like turn the other cheek. But I think there has to be a sense in which we also, as we talked about in atonement, we need to realize that we can't come flippantly into God's presence. There's a, mm. there's a death that's required. There's a holiness in God's presence. And God's presence is dangerous to us if we treat it flippantly. And I think there's a lesson for us in this. This is Torah. This is, yeah. this is instruction for us. Don't come flippantly to God. Treat mm. his... Like, like, you know, withholding our tithes, withholding our sort of just becoming self-focused, focused on our own comfort, what's good for us, that's and dangerous. like that's, that's only a little sin, you know, maybe I'll be right with that one. Yeah, but <laughs> sin, like it, it builds uh, up over yeah. time. So I think that's what, this is an origin story here. Yeah, okay. Just trying to remind us, don't treat God flippantly. Mm. He's a holy God. Our Father in heaven. To be rev- Holy he's a revered yeah. God. Yeah. There's a, there is a reverence. There is an awe. There is a sense of understanding the greatness of God and we treat and respecting God, not just treating him flippantly. Yeah. That's what was going on in this story, I think. Yeah. It's a big story. I guess I am one of those people that look at this and say, because the, the, the word says that God is the same. Yesterday. Yesterday, today. today yeah. and, and I look at this and then I think about, God in the New Testament, and part yep. of me is like, surely it's different now. But oh, well, I would say it was, except that how do you reconcile the Ananias and Sapphira story in the New yeah, Testament? That's right. So, I think, and and Jesus has a lot to say about if you're the one who can throw your body into hell, for instance. Yeah, you know, probably talk about that at some point in the next podcast. Yeah, there is overlap. But there is overlap, but I think <laughs> do the work. 
Yeah. That's all I'm going to say is do the work, wrestle with this stuff, allow it to confront you. If you can read Joshua and Judges and just dismiss it, you haven't done enough work. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think you're supposed to read it. Yeah. If if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then you're supposed to be able to read this and still see God in this story. And not just go there, I've knocked Joshua off and now let's move on to something. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> Spend the time wrestling with this because yeah. this all scripture is God breathed and is useful, it says. Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. And is useful for correction and direction and all sorts of four things he says. And I think we need to be able to read this and go, this is still revealing something of God to us. Yeah, definitely. But I, I, honest folks, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. Joshua and Judges, you'd need to do some serious work to get comfortable with these stories. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you're a peaceful person. Especially if you're a peaceful person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Jesus seems to, I mean, Jesus is raised on these stories. Yeah, that's it. And the other thing I heard yesterday in that podcast I was referring to is that Jesus, the apostles, they were all raised on these stories. Somehow they don't ever directly speak against these stories. Yeah, okay. And so the implication of what the guys were saying on the podcast was they don't speak against these stories. So that should tell us maybe there's something that we're missing yeah. that they had. They had a connection with the story Mm. that we 2,000 years later don't have and now we're trying to apply our 21st century knowledge onto it. If we could understand that if those guys don't talk about this stuff, even Jesus doesn't really address this stuff. He'd say, turn the other cheek, but he doesn't directly say, you know, guys, turn the other cheek. Don't don't do what the Israelites did when they went into the promised land and defeated all of them. He doesn't say don't do that. He just ignores that. Yeah. So there's something in this story that we are imposing upon it. We've got yeah. to get comfortable with the fact that it's a different culture, a different time. Awesome. All right. So we're going there to go over to the New Testament now. We sure are. Where are we going we're heading next? into Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. Alrighty then, we are diving into Mark 4. Move the microphone a bit closer to you. Alrighty then. That's better. Listen to this beautiful voice. (laughs) I've, um, as we go through Mark, I've written how many verses and stuff in these chapters. So (laughs) Mark 4 has 41 verses and uh, many parables. Yes. Uh, Many of the New Testament chapters are much longer than Old Testament chapters. I love it. This the, the first uh, parable in Mark 4 is, um, well, I like that Jesus is teaching from a boat while the people listen from the shore. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I wrote, I looked up the definition of parable, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Yep. Good explanation. Which I thought was a, a good explanation yep. on parables because there's so many used. And um, parable of the farmer scattering seed is um, one that, a lot of people know, most people know. I sort of was just, at, I just went to the toilet, uh, listeners. And as I was in there, I was thinking uh, sometimes the scattering seed or with me when I was a younger Christian, I felt like I sort of might be one type of seed and then I might for a while progress and then become another uh, one. I and um, right. I sort of jumped around right. before maybe I started growing properly. Right. Okay. I just thought it might be worthy to note that. 
Yeah. Okay. So the notice in the story though, the seed doesn't change. No. It's the same That's seed. Right. The issue yes. is not the seed. The issue is what. Pers- the, the soil that the, yeah, the seed soil goes into. The seeds received is that what into? you mean? Like sometimes yeah. you feel like you're in good soil and sometimes you feel like That's you're right. dry soil. Yeah. 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 And I guess part of that for me, uh, if I'm honest, is having one foot in the world and one foot right. in church or yeah. the word and that battle yes. going on. So yep. maybe one day the world was winning for me Yep. and then I would yeah. think, oh, geez, what are you doing? And yeah, gotcha. Bit of a struggle. Yeah, I, so I, I remember I look back in that time um, and getting really angry with myself, like, you know what the truth is. Mm-hmm. So then why are you getting sucked back into some of this sure. stuff, you know? Um, I think what I bet, I think that's a, a while you, I can see how you're describing it in this story, the power, you know, sometimes I guess that like can be the weeds growing up through that the soil. That can be weeds. Well, it yeah. describes what the weeds are. It says the weeds are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Yeah. So it's desiring stuff. Yeah. It's the worry about stuff that Jesus would say is the thing that chokes the seed. And if we're honest, we think about it. That's often the case. Oh, yeah. The thing that often chokes out our faith is the worry about will there be enough? The fear yeah. of do I, can I trust God? So Matthew 6, Jesus will say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things and his righteousness and God will add all these things to you. It's a fear narrative. Yeah. And I know in my life that the times when I struggle the most to have faith is when I'm afraid. Yeah. I don't know if God, I can trust God on this. I, is there enough? Is there going to be enough? Am I going to need to take matters into my own hands? And and that's when I have my faith choked out by weeds. Mm. I think what you're describing there. While that's true, is the fear of enough. There's probably other times where that's more just that Roman seven struggle of you want to do the right thing, but you kind of keep doing the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two parts of you, and they're at war with each other. Yeah, and, and and the yeah the war would be, I'm I want to trust, or I feel like I'm trusting, but then why do I just yeah. keep going backwards? You know, for me, I guess back then it was more like just enjoying the world or. Just blocking things out with yeah. other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you're doing. You're actually yeah. still trying to numb the pain. You're still trying to find meaning and purpose mm. in other stuff other than Christ. Definitely, Kenny. Yeah. I put here, this story isn't as simple as it sounds, is it? <laughs> I don't think it is, but what what do you mean when you say that? I mean that maybe there's there's in between, like I'm saying, a mixing of how the seed lands and grows. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as the four. Maybe some people are like, I, I feel like I'm a bit of this uh, one and you. that one. And, yeah. and it's not uh, like, not like certain people are hard yeah, yeah. ground, certain people are shallow I can't just put myself in that. No, I don't think that's what Jesus And even a lot of that. people that you know, like I guess immediately it makes me think of some people that have fallen away from the church and, and I think, oh, you were so... Alive. I thought you were in good you soil. You were so alive yeah. in Christ, and yeah. um, and some of the things you say to me now yeah. are so far away. It's like yeah. it's all died. And why did that happen? Mm. You know, when your soil seemed really good. So, if we, if we stretch the soil farming analogy and yeah. take what you just said about, I've never thought about this before. So I'm just just spitballing here. I'm just yeah. going with yeah. the, going with the theory a bit. Um, you what you just said there was, you know if we just uh, make these four groups of soil absolute, like they're absolutely rock and it's always rock, if there's absolutely shallow soil, there's always good soil or whatever. But yeah. if we recognize that what you're saying is you can move around, the agriculture would say that just because you're just because a piece of soil is good soil 
if it's not turned and it's not aerated and it's not given light room to fallow and mm-hmm. all that, eventually that will turn into rocky soil if it's left untended. And you know what I'm getting as well? There could be an earthquake or something, like something big in your life and then rocks could rise up. Rocks could rise up, everything could change. So I think that's great, the great way to think about it. So rather than thinking, hey, I'm in great soil now, be aware that just because my soil is good now, listeners, doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. A crisis could come. Uh, we, if we become flippant and we're not turning the soil, which is, you know, spending time with the Lord, mm. spending time in connection with his people, if we just think, oh, no, we're in good soil, we'll be right. It doesn't take long for good soil yeah. to turn into bad soil. And, and, and weeds grow. And weeds to grow we, through. Weeds grow quicker than Th- that's grass. Correct, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And I wonder if that's what Jesus is. I love the point you're, you're making there. It's it's not just absolute. We can all turn back into rocky ground and and footpaths before we know it, if we're not care, if we don't tend to yeah. our hearts. Yeah, it's a great thought, Ken. And I, yeah, yeah. And I found it interesting that the, the disciples, I mean, these guys were hanging with Jesus and they still didn't quite get yeah. it. Yeah, he, he had to, they had to go and ask him, we don't get yeah. that, Jesus. What's that all about? And I love that Jesus takes the time yeah. to explain it to him and not just say you guys are knobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He actually says, I'm going to explain it all to you. And he explains the, the yeah. seed is the... Word of God and the soil is the different, you know, people's hearts and yeah. like, doesn't he? Yeah. It is actually a big parable, that one. Um, yes, Have it you is. preached on it? Uh, yeah, a few times over the years. Probably yeah. not. I don't know that I've preached on it recently. Not that I can recall having preached on it recently, but it's one of the more well, well-known ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't recall having preached on it, but I think what... When, that, I, when I read it, I thought I could probably sit on this a bit more and... and meditate on where I've been and where I'm at and yeah. where I could be going and what I want out of my walk with God. Well, often with parables, not always, but often with parables, you can go to the end of the parable and in the last phrase or so, you'll see Jesus giving a summary, oh, yeah. some kind of summary of the parable. Is there a summary in this one? Well, I think so. I think verse 20 says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as being planted. Planted, I think the point is be good soil. Yeah. nice. So I think he's contrasting it and going, you know what, if you, if you will tend to your harvest, I'll give you the seed. You got to tend to it. You got to care for your heart. You've got to, you've got to allow you, make sure your soil is good soil. And if it is the natural product of that will be crops of goodness. Our job is not to grow the plants. Our job is to tend the soil that God has entrusted his seed into, and that is our heart. Yeah, cool. So Jesus will say things like, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. I think it's actually a proverb, but, you know, out, Jesus will quote on that and he'll say, you know, um, things like that the heart, he'll talk about out of the heart, out, not out of the mouth come things of the heart. Yeah. And so I think our job as followers of Jesus is to tend the soil. Mm. Look after our soil, aerate it, keep it fresh, keep it vibrant, give it nutrition. Gosh. You know, you have to, if you have a pot plant, you have to fertilize that pot plant regularly to keep Amanda it fresh. Amanda and I are terrible at growing plants. I, I am pretty bad too, I have to say. <laughs> and I've got a couple of dead ones around my place. Some, they'll work for years and suddenly they uh. die. This bush that's just died for no apparent reason. But, um, you know, that's the principle. We have to keep fertilizing it mm. and keeping it fresh. And I'd say for us, this lesson is what are we doing? to keep our soil aerated, fresh, mm. um, 
you know, nutrition in the soil, fertilized. Yeah. And I think. And what can we like, add to our soil? What can we keep bringing in freshness? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do we keep plucking rocks out and pulling weeds out <laughs> and all these analogies? Yeah. I think that's on us. We're farming. Yeah. You know, we've got to do some farming here. You've got to take the time. You can't just drop a few things in and expect it to, to grow. grow perfectly. That's right. We've got to water it. So, yeah. so I would say things like, I know I probably sound like a broken record, but I, I think things like listening to pod, this podcast, listening to yeah. other podcasts, listening and taking notes in sermons and spending time in devotional life and prayer and worship and yeah. community and discussing scripture and community with your small groups and all of those things are all things that will well, what you've just said, listening to this podcast is refreshing your refresh yeah, life. Yeah, that's right. So it's good for the soil. It stops things being stagnant. Yeah. It so if you listen to this, stop the podcast, unless you're driving, and actually ask yourself, <laughs> yeah. what am I doing to tend the soil? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's worth thinking about. Wow, I'm thinking about it right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we don't do anything, the law of the law of entropy, which says everything tends towards decay. If you take a block, mm. if you take a block of good soil and just you might have a beautiful little garden bed of good soil, yeah. you just leave it unattended, nothing in it, eventually that good soil will lose its nutrition, it'll seep into the ground, yeah. it will get compacted, nothing will grow in there, it needs to be turned over. You cannot expect good soil to remain as good soil without yeah. external work. And I'm getting the be still and know that I'm God because when you have busy weeks or busy times, you'd be like, oh, I'll just leave it. Leave that. I won't water it until. That's right. And you know, what happens? I've got no time to water it. It doesn't take long before the plants will die. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I think there's some good um, lessons from, from this parable for us. Very cool. Yeah. Got any more in that chapter you want to look well, at? Well, well, there's lots of parables. The parable of the lamp, um, the parable of the growing seed, mm -hmm. the, the parable of the mustard seed. Yep. I've put, how does the kingdom of God start as a tiny mustard seed? Yes, a little seed that will yeah. eventually grow. Yeah. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's come onto the earth as a little seed. You you take your little seed into your family and into your workplace and all that. You're just a little seed. But allow it to grow and it will grow and become a place where um, in this particular case, this particular plant they're talking about would grow big and others would come and Plants would come, they'd be, give shade and refreshment. And that's the picture is that the kingdom starts little inside Kenny. I guess I was grows. thinking um, the Bible starts with, or oh, John in the beginning was the word. I mm -hmm. thought it was like all, already there, not a little seed. I thought it was like, ah, okay. that's how I was. Why is the kingdom of God a tiny seed when the kingdom of God always was, is, and um, is that too broad a question? No, it's not. Let me let me just see if I can run it through a couple of filters in the scriptures. Let's go back to Genesis. Yeah, the kingdom of God, heaven. Yeah, is big is a big seed, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God creates the earth, and He creates a little seed called yep. Eden. Ah, yes. And He says, "I want you to take this little seed to Adam and Eve, and I want you to make the rest of the earth look like this little seed." Right. So He's entrusted partnership for His kingdom with humans. Yep. And our job is to work to grow his kingdom. This little seed is perfect. This little piece of seed is perfect. Grow and it. I want you to see that multiply across the earth. So I grow think it. that that analogy is there. And then when Jesus comes, he starts with the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's like yeah. Jesus is, he is basically, his teaching begins with, I am the kingdom of God and I'm coming among you. And his job is to, he's always been to take his people, um, appoint his people as seed bearers. And that each of us goes out little by little and we make the little world around us look like heaven. Beautiful. Oh, that was well put. Mm, I think that's a, I, like it. I think that's a fundamental narrative of scripture. Yeah. You and I partner with God 
We have the kingdom deposited inside us and our job is to everywhere we go and every interaction we have, we should leave a little bit of heaven deposited in others. I've never actually seen a mustard seed, but they must be tired. Uh, yeah, I think there's, <laughs> I haven't got it in front of me, the information about this, but there, there's a bit of, I don't think the mustard seed here is the same as our mustard seeds, which are tiny. Oh, right. I think this is referring to a plant, the seed of a plant that actually became quite a large plant. You can Google ah, it, folks. Okay. You can Google right. it, but I don't think it's our mustard plant. It's a big tree, this particular one they're talking about. All right. So Mark, I've put here Mark 4 finishes with Jesus calming the storm. Mm. Do you think God planned the storm or was it just something that happened? Um, that wasn't in- you know I what just, I said about theologians questioning this? Yes. So some theologians <laughs> will say this was a demonically inspired storm. Um, they all had their reasons for that. I can't because remember. Because really they're just out on the just, sea. Yeah. Jesus has said, I'm going for a kip because I'm tired. Yep. And the storm sprung up. Yeah, there's a bit. Which m- storms happen. And in, in Galilee, they do. So I've told the story a few times. Jill and I were swimming in the Sea of Galilee and uh, Jill nearly drowned in the Sea of Galilee. So uh, we experienced Freaked firsthand. Wave, King Wave. Y- yes. The sea, we get, the sea of Galilee isn't a sea. It's oh, a lake. Right. Yeah, that's right? what I thought. It is a lake. But the way it's set up with its mountains around at certain times of the year, the afternoon breeze, it's pretty much surrounded by mountains. Anyway, the way the wind sweeps down, I actually sat on the shores after I rescued Jill. <laughs> From ah. this nearly drowning in spirits, I'm sitting there Googling on my phone and going, what's this? I've just witnessed what the Bible talks about, these these freak storms come up. And it's just the afternoon breeze. Yeah. And so what is a, a supposed to be an inland lake, it swept up to a swell with waves that were pushing two meters. I've seen them surf um, lakes in Alaska. Similar stuff thing? Like that. Right. Yep, yep. Okay. Big so waves. Big waves. So this, yeah. this is an inland lake. It's not, this is not surf. This is not... Yeah. Coming from the tidal way, this is not a tidal lake. It's the particular wind. So we were sitting, we were sitting there. It was, it was, you know, it was just choppy waves. But it suddenly swept up to these massive waves, and they're breaking. These waves are breaking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so caught Jill off guard. And then I'm googling. The next morning I come out, and it's it's flat like a pancake. Wow! You can see a reflection. You can see the reflection in the lake of the mountains on the other side. An actual lake of an actual (laughs) lake. So that's what they had. But these guys were fishermen. Yep. These guys were used to being on the Sea of Galilee. This was not uncommon for them to experience these waves. So I think the scholars say there's something more going on than just your everyday storm here because yeah, they would okay. have been used to it. But hardened fishermen, when they're scared, yep. there's something going on. Yeah, okay. And Jesus will get up and he will rebuke the wind and the waves. Personally, I think that's just Jesus showing his ascendancy because um, the disi- it says at the end, verse 41, the disciples were amazed and said, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. This this is Jesus showing his mastery yeah. over creation. Beautiful. I think that's what's going on. I like it. Yeah. I think we should end that chapter right, right there and move on to Mark 5. Mark 5. I'll try and learn to play this that music on the guitar. Yeah, do it. I'm <laughs> just sitting here thinking. Do, 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 yeah, do. he's just bobbing his head into the music. <laughs> Maybe you should learn that music, Kenny. Mark 5, 43 verses long. I've got in the middle of this, I've got Jesus on Jesus is on fire at this stage. This is like right in the middle of his uh, time of performing yes, many, doing miracles, many miracles. Yes, he's on fire. Moving across the land. Yep. Um I'm heading to Melbourne next weekend to preach at a conference, taking some annual leave, and I've been asked to preach at a conference from a, another denomination. And um, I'm preaching on this story, actually, Mark 5. 
Oh, good. Mm. Oh, which, so with the, this conversation might help me. The chapter or the story? I'm actually... Heavily possessed man. I'm preaching on that story. And yes, I'm preaching on the next bit too on the Sunday morning. So I'm preaching on both parts. It's once on the Friday night and once on the Sunday morning. Nice. That's timely for me, Kenny. Well, it's... So help Mark me out, brother, with my starts, preaching. starts with the heavily possessed man who has a legion within, inside him being freed and the evil spirits going into the pigs and the pigs running down the hill and drowning in the lake and uh, quite a commotion I put in here. <laughs> quite a commotion, yes. <laughs> the townsfolk send him away and while the healed man goes and proclaims the great things Jesus has done for him. I, I think maybe I wrote it further on, but at this time Jesus is telling people not to say anything about what happens. Sure. Um, even though he's going through and doing so much. Yeah, why like, do you think that might be? Is it so it's not such a big wave of popularity or um, uh, he doesn't want too, get, too much going on? Yeah, you're getting there. too much you're, fanfare. You're getting there. Yeah. Um, it's it's that and a little bit more. So I think John's gospel will kind of allude to it a bit more depth. It's that it says things like Jesus thought that the people would try to come and make him king by force. Yeah, right. That they would, set, they would see this miracle worker and then they would take their narrative. Yeah. And they go, here's our future Messiah. They drag him off to Jerusalem and pin him up as the as their king, and trying to get the to Romans do his out. Work. And he wouldn't. And he was not wasn't here to kick the Romans out. No. He was here to deal with sin. But they yeah. still had the as did the disciples for that matter. They still had this sense that the Messiah's job was to defeat the Romans and free God's people, Israel. And so he was afraid that people afraid's the wrong word. Jesus wanted to avoid the people misrepresenting him. He wasn't here to defeat the Romans. He was here to defeat sin in all of humans. So that's more what's going yeah. on. So I'll often say things like that, that Jesus told them not to say anything about it, like he does in this story. But essentially he's cruising around with great crowds just following yeah. him. Like an, this the, is what I'm saying. He's on fire. He's on his way to heal. This is called uh, Jarius' daughter. Say this is during his period of popularity. I think they say he's got an initial – give or take, he's got an initial year of getting known. Yeah, He's got a year of popularity and then he's got a year of – the final year of his life is more than more often than not marked by um, by persecution. They're starting to get get against him. There's a lot more voices against him in the last third year of his ministry. Yeah, but certainly. What did you say? He's in this year. What did you describe it as? He's on fire. He's on fire. That's <laughs> it. This is his time. He's on fire. He's on fire. Everywhere he goes, stuff's happening. So he's cruising along to heal Jarius's daughter. I think they've already come and said your daughter's sick, and uh, it's when the the 12 years bleeding woman touches yep. his robe. Is that endometriosis? I did a little bit of research on that because I had a friend who had an uh, operation for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't Maybe know endometriosis. Maybe someone knows out there. Yeah. I, I just thought. I didn't think endometriosis you know. was linked to perpetual bleeding, but I may be wrong there. I think endometriosis is just a, um, uh, the uterus isn't, work, isn't lot, the lining of the uterus isn't working properly. It's incredibly painful. But I may be wrong there. Someone could correct me. I didn't think it was necessarily to do with perpetual bleeding, but I thought that might have been something else. It's a great story. I guess the twelve, the whole 12 years thing gets me. Like as, as, as a bloke who went through maybe six or seven years of bad hips right. and pain yep. and like the whole mental side of that, yep. 12 years – and she was shunned and, you know, her life would have been yeah. hell, really. Because that's the point. Yeah. She, it's not only the pain which she's experiencing, it's the fact that she is technically 
not allowed not allowed to interact with people. That's right. And because so she's, she's kind of desperate. She's desperate. She, she's desperate, and the whole way it happens, she touches, and then in, she's instantly healed. But then Jesus is like, "Hey, who?" Touched and she would have been like, "Freaked out." It's yeah. a beautiful story. I, I it just is found an amazing it. Story. You know, it's another one that you just in amongst the whole of Mark five. You're like, "Oh yeah, that happened." Yeah, but. You could write a whole story on her and come, her life. Come to come to Israel with us, and we go to the town of Magdala, yeah, which they've recently discovered. And there's a lot of scholars believe that could have been this place that they're at, where Jairus was. Yeah, uh, we don't know for sure, um, but a lot of scholars. And the whole there's a ch- there's a church there that's set up around this woman's story. Wow! And the, I'm actually we above our bedroom above our bedroom. Yeah. we have a a print that I bought from the town of Magdala, which yeah. is on the wall of this church. It's down in the basement of this church against the floor. The floor is actually the original uh, floor from this time, from the time of Christ. He would have walked on this concrete in this town. And um, there's a picture of this woman. Re- you just see this hand reaching through a crowd of feet and there's just wow. a spark where she's touching the edge of Jesus' garment. And that's above our bedroom window. I bought that for Jill when I went back the second beautiful. time. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story, and, and what does he say at the end? Go in peace. Go in peace. Suffering is yeah. over. Let me have a crack at. Do you want any questions? I'll have a crack at just summarizing this chapter. Yeah, these okay. Stories. Yeah, do it. So, Jesus in uh, at the start of this chapter says he basically says, "Let's cross over to the other side." He says they arrived actually at the end of the last chapter. He says, "Let's cross over to the other side of the lake." Yeah, when, this, when the storm happens after the storm, yeah, yeah. before the storm, before he goes, the storm, let's yeah. cross over to the other side, and there's this story is referred to in Matthew's gospel and Luke, Luke eight, I think it is. Yep. So Matthew, Mark and Luke all talk about this story. Jesus goes, let's cross over the other side of the lake. Well, for starters, Jews didn't cross to that side of the lake. The Lake of Galilee is split pretty much in half and predominantly Jews would stick to the northwestern side of the lake. The south and eastern side of the lake was Gentiles it's the region of the Decapolis. There's a lot of Gentiles living there. They're unclean. They, they're the sim- they're simple the out- people. They're the outcasts the to outcasts. the Jews. So Jews don't gen- don't fellowship with Gentiles. These they weren't were, allowed to be saved for a while. For a while, that's right. All that kind of <laughs> stuff. These were seen as you know pagan worshippers and all that sort yep. of stuff. So the Jews almost exclusively stayed to the north and the northwestern side of the lake. Jesus says, hey, guys, as Jesus is prone to do, we're going to cross over and go to the other side of the lake. Ah, so it was kind of a big deal. So it was a big deal. So as they crossed, they hit the storm. Yep. Jesus calms the storm. They end up on the other side of the lake. So is Jarius a Gentile? No. We're no. Gonna watch oh, sorry. Now you're right. You're right. Good question. <laughs> we'll come back to that. So Jesus crosses over the lake. He meets this demon-possessed man in the caves. Yep. Well, one version will say two guys, but whether it's one or two, the stories. He goes across the lake. He meets these guys in the region of the Gerasenes or the Gerasenes, which is Gentiles. They're yep. not Jews. Jesus will go across there. He will deliver this guy. From these demons. He's probably heard about him. Everyone knows about this guy because he's constantly being chained and he's broken uh, free yeah, and breaks free. breaks free and he's roaming the tombs and he's just basically tormented an by animal. this legion of demons. He's an animal, yeah. Jesus will go over there, deliver this man, change his life radically. And then it says, after he does that, the man says, Can I go with you? And Jesus says, No, no, go back and go back into town, tell everyone what happened to you. Jesus says immediately, he got on the boat and sailed back across the other side of the lake again. <laughs> Jesus went out of his way to cross the lake to meet this one guy. Oh, wow. And then he gets in the boat, goes straight back across the lake again. So Jesus was on a mission for one person. Oh, there it is again. There it is again. Wow. And then Jesus later on will go back to this side of the lake. One other time he'll be referred to, he'll go back there. 
that time, the Gentiles, instead of saying, hey, go away, like they did this time, they commanded him to leave. The next time he goes back there, whatever this man has done has so changed that community that now they all come out to meet him. Wow. And he feeds them, feeds 4,000 of them, John's gospel tells us. Wow. So he feeds 5,000 on one side and 4,000 on this side. He feeds a bunch of Gentiles. This life-changing encounter where Jesus crossed the lake through a storm to meet one person. Friends, Jesus will go across a lake <laughs> to find you. That's beautiful. You are not too far from Jesus. And then Jesus is going to get into the boat and he's going to cross over. And whether he goes north to Capernaum or directly west to Magdala, let's for the sake of it say he's gone to this place, Magdala, which is almost directly across the lake. You can see it from one side of the lake to the other. He comes to the town of Magdala. And when he, when he does, as the boats come in, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, is there. And he sees Jesus and he rushes to Jesus. And he says, come and heal my daughter who is sick. And, uh, and Jesus says, okay, I'll come. On that way, and we've been to Magdala, it's just a little road that leads up to where the synagogue is. They've found the synagogue at Magdala. So let's assume it is this place. Yep. It's maybe 80 meters from the shoreline. Yep. Everyone has seen Jesus come. And yep. The disciples have arrived. Um, they've watched him come across the lake. You can see the boat coming. They've all gathered. Word's got out of us, Jesus. They've all gathered because Jesus says, what did you say? On fire. <laughs> fire. So they've all gathered. There's crowds of people. But they wouldn't have known about what he did across there. Not they? necessarily. No, no. They didn't know about that, but they know Jesus know is already popular. Oh, Jesus is coming to our town. Yeah. Right. So the word gets out. Maybe Jairus is in the middle of grieving and someone shouts out, Jesus is coming. He's on the boat. Jairus runs down to the lake. Jesus, Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's a popular person. Okay. I'd like the dude across the lake who no one had healed. Yeah. This guy is a guy of popularity. He's right. the leader of, he's a leader of the synagogue. He's got Prominent. some influence. He's got some prominence. Yeah. So somehow or another, he uses his prominence. He gets through the crowd and he grabs Jesus and says, Jesus, come. My daughter. Jesus, Jesus is no respecter of persons. He's not looking for popularity. He's not looking for anything. In this case, yeah. he's just where there's need and there's faith is what Jesus will look for. He goes, okay, I'll come and heal. On the way, all the crowds are pushing as he walks up. This one woman who's not Jairus, who has no prominence, in fact, has, is an outcast, pushes through the crowd to reach and touch the cloak, the hem of Jesus' cloak. Yeah. Jesus stops and he turns and he says, like who touched me? Who touched me? What do you mean who touched you? There's crowds <laughs> everywhere. It's like there's there's 500 people here and we're walking up a two-meter footpath. How Everyone's touching you, Jesus. And he goes, no, no, someone touched me. And he stops and his power is available to that woman who was outcast as much as it is to Jairus, the, the prominence person. doesn't matter whether you're at the top or the bottom of the social order, Jesus responds to faith. And there would have been a moment too. Oh, yeah. There would have been a big moment. moment. So this woman gets free and delivered. And Jesus carries on with his mission, goes and he raises Jairus' daughter from her sickbed, from her death. Wow. It's a story. This Mark 5 is captured in this story. I think Mark wants you to see that doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what side of the lake you're from, what the community thinks mm. of you. If you will reach out to Jesus, he is there for you. Wow. I love these stories. That's cool. The way they've been woven together, these three stories. And he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. Just have faith. Yeah, that's really cool. Great summary. Yeah, I love it. Mark 5's cool. I love it. All Luke right. 8, I think it is as well. Let's move on to Mark 7. Mark 7.
Alrighty, Mark 7 has a title. Jesus teaches about inner purity. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that something that's hard to find? For those that were raised <laughs> in the 90s and the noughties, they're going to think purity, oh, that, that triggers all kinds of different beliefs, purity culture and that kind of stuff. That's not oh, what Jesus is talking about here. I, I, I'm glad I didn't go to the church that Jenny went to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> she knows all about purity culture. I mean, I, I grew up as an Anglican and I don't know, it seemed pretty welcoming. There were certain things you had to do to get close to the altar where sure. Jesus was. Yeah. But it was, I don't know. There's probably a lot of judging going on that as a kid I didn't see. You probably not just didn't notice yeah. it, yeah. Everyone seemed to be the same, actually. It's very Anglo-Saxon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true too. My first question about, so it's a story where the Pharisees are asking about some of the stuff that um, the disciples do that go against their laws. Go against their traditions, yes. Their traditions that, that may or may not have just been made up by the Pharisees. In, they were. Having heard some of that, yeah. Yep. So. Well, made up by their predecessors yeah. over a period of time, yes. So what they did is they looked at the law and they put all these fences around the law. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. How do we make sure we don't obey, don't defeat the law? Let's put a fence around that so you can't get too close to that. Then let's yeah. build a fence around that. So we end up with fences around fences. And but I did think that... Um, they had a valid point in saying, why wouldn't the disciples wash their hands? Because washing uh, it their seems hands to be before a healthy issue. is like... But it wasn't for them. The washing okay. of the hands had nothing to do with cleanliness for them. Did they it have implements a, or were they being like the Indians? Oh, they washed with their hands. Yeah. They, sorry, they ate with, their, with hands. their hands. Yes, yeah. they ate with their hands. So, yes, but you need to be think, you need to remove the principle of they're not thinking about washing your hands for cleanliness. This was a ritual cleansing where they would take their hands, cup them in a certain way and pour water ah, over them. Right. It was a ritual that they went through where it was probably rooted in some good, originally it was probably rooted in some good practice, but they made the ritual into law as though, oh, just doing that thing made you holy. And Jesus is going... Because yeah, I said Jesus snapped at them and I wondered why he went off so much when they were... It seemed to me that they were just talking about, hey, go wash your go hands, wash your hands before you eat. Hey, kids, <laughs> make sure you wash your hands before you eat. No, but Jesus rips into them. Yeah, he does rip into yeah. them. Yeah. And you, he uses scripture from Isaiah. Yeah, he goes off. Yeah, because... They had made the ritual into something that somehow by doing the ritual, they would be holy before God. And then they would look down on everybody who ah, wasn't so they're doing looking the down at the disciples and saying, hey, they're How not doing they? that ritual. So yeah. yeah, we're holy, you're not. That whole thing we talked about in Jeannie's podcast, Colossians 2, yeah. that you look, these things look like they're holy, but they actually have no power to tame self-righteousness. So these, he's ripping into these guys. Your worship is a farce. <laughs> wow. They teach man-made, guide, man-made ideas as commands from God. Yeah, that's good. And then they also talk about what they eat and Jesus, I think this is a bit of a f- famous quote. It's not yes. what goes into your body that defiles you. Oh, that's the one I was talking about before. But what comes from your heart. Yes. So they made, oh, you don't eat this and you do certain things and if you don't do that, you'll be clean. And Jesus is going, it's got, actually, it's got more to do yeah. with what's in your heart. If you've got self-righteousness in your heart, you're going to spew that out. Yeah, I like that. I've yeah. put next to read verse 17. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. What parable did he just use? The bit about... Uh, oh, the defiling. The defiling. It's not what goes into your mouth. He says... Um, if you, uh, where is it? And then he says, don't you understand either? Can't you see yeah. that the food put in your body cannot defile you? That's the bit. Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach. Into and the sewer. Into the sewer. <laughs> Cheeky Jesus say this, isn't it? He declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes and then added, it is 
what comes from inside that defiles you for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Yes. Gets into that. Mm. Yeah. So Jesus is, that's what they're questioning. They don't understand it. And Jesus is trying to say, the point is what's inside your heart. And then yep. it goes on to the faith of a Gentile woman, which we've already said they weren't like favoured. Uh, yeah. So this is interesting. Oh, let me just tell a little story here. So Jesus has been in Galilee. Verse 24 says, left then Galilee. Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. You know what Jesus is saying? Hey guys, let's go let's to the beach go. for a holiday. Uh, <laughs> He's actually taking the boys a long way from home. For one person again. Yes, it would appear that way, whether he's doing it intentionally, whether he's having a holiday and he meets someone. But he goes to the region of Tyre, which is probably 100 kilometers from Galilee against the Mediterranean. Let's go have a beach holiday. <laughs> it's a long way from Israel. This is up in modern-day uh, modern Lebanon. He really. says he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Yeah. So he says, come on, guys. There's probably some ladies amongst him following along as well. It's not just the disciples. And they go for it. They head north. And they meet this woman. Yeah. Anyway, that was just thought I'd mention that, that this is a long way from where they just were. And it could be that he went there all the way for this woman. Absolutely. And I put uh, verse 27 when he speaks to her. Oh, she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And I said, isn't it a bit harsh what Jesus says? Uh, and yes. Jesus like. So yes. Jesus says, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews, isn't it right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs? So he called her a dog. I know. What do you make of that? It's un-Jesus-like. It's un-Jesus-like. Okay. A few things. It's First like he's It's like he's labeling her. Labeling her. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And I haven't got it in front of me, so I'm racking my brain in history. But the word Jesus, the word that the Jews would use for Gentiles was like, you know, wild rabbit dogs. Wow. The word that Jesus uses here, if I'm correct, is a word for puppies. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's already softened a little, but what he's doing is hunting out her faith. So he's saying, look, my, my primary mission for being here is to reach the Jews. Yeah. The, his goal was Jesus would reach the Jews and eventually the Jewish disciples would then take it to the Gentiles. Now we've just seen in the previous chapter that Jesus has crossed the lake to find a Gentile and, yeah, and, and heal Gentile. a Gentile. And now he's come here and this woman is a Gentile. So I don't think he's saying he won't reach Gentiles. He's saying my primary mission is Jews. Yeah. But then he says, it's not right to take the bread that's for the children and toss it to the puppies. Yeah. Okay. That it is. It is. Like whichever way you look at it, that woman could have gone. Well, stuff you. I'm leaving. Yeah. How dare you? Very he's, much. He's satisfied with her answer. He's satisfied with her answer because yeah. she goes, "I don't need a whole loaf. Yeah. Just a crumb from the table. Yeah. A dog runs under a table and eats the crumbs. All I need is just a crumb, Jesus. If you will just be willing to just spread me, you can keep the rest of the loaf. If you'll just give me a crumb, that's enough for me. And it's so much that Jesus is overwhelmed by her answer. Yeah. In fact, it says a good answer. I think other versions will say something like Jesus acknowledged her great faith. Yeah. There's something about this woman, this Gentile woman. There's a couple of times when Jesus is amazed by great faith. Yeah. This is one of them. And the other one is the centurion, who's also a Gentile, who whose servant is sick. Both those stories, Jesus says they have great faith. So did he go out of his way to make a point? Point and using her? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because he's he's teaching. A point of what's to come or? Yes. But also yeah. I think he's trying to teach the 
the Jew, his Jewish um, disciples to have a view for the Gentiles as well. Yeah. So, it took so them a long time this, to get it. Yeah. <laughs> that this segregation is yeah. a little bit harsh. Yeah, they're still dealing with that 30 years into the Christian church. They're and still dealing with segregation. Are they worthy of the crumbs or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. But this answer is this woman. And once again, it's back to that faith issue. It's like the previous chapter was if I could, well, two chapters before was if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Yeah. This is a woman saying, just give me a just crumb. Just give me a crumb. A crumb will want, be enough for my miracle. I don't want a piece miracle. of bread. I just want a crumb. A crumb will be enough for my miracle. And Jesus will say. So if you're at a point where you go, I don't have much faith. Yeah. You can go, I just need a crumb. Yeah. It's like the man who says, Lord, I, Lord, if you can do anything, please heal my son. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible to the one who believes. Wow. And he says, I want to believe, help me with my unbelief. If you're sitting here right now and you need a miracle in your life, you can't have faith. You can ask for the faith. I want to believe. I'm really right now, if I'm honest, Jesus, I'm struggling. Yeah. I don't get it. I feel like you've just called me a dog. <laughs> I feel like you're ignoring me. Yeah. But if you can just find, muster the strength to Definitely go, been there. Cr- I know. We all are. We all are. <laughs> yeah. If we can just go, a crumb. A crumb is enough I to like see that. a breakthrough. That's definitely opened that one up a bit for mm. me. I've got here that I've written, uh, Jesus is peaking, healing people left, right, and center. Yeah, he is. The, the three or four chapters through here are yeah. all healing, aren't they? Um, verse 33, he does the weird, the weird healing of the deaf man. Is that the mud oh, in the oh, ears? The no, the spit. Spit. Uh, spits on his own fingers, touches the man's tongue, looks up to heaven and says, afafta, which means be open. Yeah. Yeah. This is where I've written, why is, why is Jesus at this time telling people not to say anything about the healing? Yeah. I think that's why, what I said earlier. Yeah. He's just trying to avoid a, a riot. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, that's about all I had for Mark 7. Mark 7. I think we should go on to Mark 2, which... Uh, back to Mark 2, is it? I we mean, go, sorry, 10. Mark 10. Two, go which has 52 verses. 52 verses, okay. Let's Mark hit 10. Mark 10. All righty, Mark 10. 52 verses. I've put my first point was I felt judged by verses 2 to 12 when I was divorced. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, you talked a, a fair bit about this with Jeannie, I think, was it? Or maybe Amanda. I think I talked about it with Amanda probably. Mm. Um, I know. Well, I know that my divorce, I felt like. I don't know if I can say this on the podcast. I felt like my first marriage led me away from God. Right. And I was dedicated and if the, it, I, it wasn't my choice to end that marriage. Right. I probably would have stuck in it even right. though it was abusive mm-hmm. and not very good for me at all and mm-hmm. keeping me away from God. But I, the way it ended, it was like it ended for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when I got through the initial first stages of grief and I looked up and thought, this is when I started, I came to meet God after that. Right. And I thought, this has happened for a reason. Right. And then I read that and thought, oh. Then you felt condemned again? Yeah, and a little bit confused. Like I feel like this has happened for me to move forward in my life and not stay trapped in that situation. Yep. Why would I be yep. judged? Yep. But I know that there's context to it and 
I think I think it's probably worth because that. Thank you for your sharing there. That's, yeah, that's, I didn't. I didn't think it, I was going to share that. No, but. <clears throat> and look, everybody's story who's been through divorce is different. I've been pastoring for a long time. Yeah, there's never really a one size fits all when it comes to divorce. Everyone has experiences, stories. Some will look back and think I shouldn't have got divorced. Others will think, why didn't I get divorced sooner? And I think the passages like Mark ten that have been not well explained have actually added to the pain yeah. of people such as yourself. Like you just described, you can read this scripture and at face value, you feel condemned by this. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we could just read it and then commentate on it. Is that okay? Cause yeah. I, I just think it's worth spending a few minutes on this because I know that we'll have listeners who, who wrestle with this. And I, maybe I did talk about it in one of the other podcasts. I can't specifically recall whether it was Amanda or, or Jeannie, but not everyone's listening to everything. So if you're listening to this, Now's your chance. So are we just going to go from whoever divorces his wife? Yeah. Or? So some Pharisees, verse two, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? That's right. Okay. So the reason they're trying to trap him is because in the law, it says that a man could divorce his wife. The Mosaic law says. Yeah. And I think you were explaining that that's like a law that they've made up to make it or a law to make it okay for that, for that to happen. Yes. It was supposed to be. All the laws are written to Torah to instruct us about something inside our heart. Yeah. Okay. So it was never God's intention for divorce because God's ideal is Garden of Eden narrative where we will mutually lay down our lives for each other and divorce would not be necessary. Yeah. Okay. The way, back to that podcast I was listening to yesterday between Sky Jatani and Mike Erie, these guys were saying a lot of the Old Testament law is actually triage. It's actually God saying... I'm going to allow these things because you are going to destroy yourselves if I don't. It's not God's intention for divorce. Yeah. But what happens is because of human sin, yeah. he will allow for divorce. And it was supposed to be um, not used the way it was. So while it was in the law that they would divorce, these guys had taken it out of context. God's intention, and what it had become is, oh, Moses says a man can divorce his wife, so I'm not pleased with her, I will divorce. And there's, oh, actually, right. there's actually rabbis that list stuff. Rabbi, some, some of the rabbis in the hundred years or so before Jesus, they'll list all these things that a man can divorce his wife for. Oh, really? So if she burns the dinner, oh. he can divorce <laughs> his wife according to... <laughs> it's Seriously, it's like next level. Wow. I'm not happy with her because she didn't make the bed. I'm not happy with her because, you know, she didn't do this for me. So that's grounds this for divorce. Is a clear cut thing of the Pharisees just bending, bending, bending the rules to, their to human will. sin. Yeah. Okay. That's the, that's the worldview that you need to load up behind the scenes here. Yeah. Okay. So if you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're divorced, you need to not read this at face value. These guys, he's speaking to a worldview where they just thought they could divorce him. Another version says, uh, this version says, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Another version of this says, can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? Oh, wow. Because basically that's what the that's what the rabbis were saying at the time, that you could divorce your wife for whatever reason you wanted. Yeah. And Jesus' answer to them is, well, what do you think Moses says in the law? And they say, well, he permitted it. They can divorce his wife and send her away. That's what the law of Moses, that's what the law of Moses says, Deuteronomy 24.1. But Jesus responded, and here's the triage, here's the how Jesus wrote, he says, he wrote this command only as a concession to your hard hearts. Yeah. But God made the male and female from the beginning of creation. And this explains, he quotes Genesis, this explains why a father and mother is joined to his wife, the two are united into one. They're no longer two but one. 
and what 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 once uh, let no one split apart what God has joined together. He's setting up the ideal. The ideal in the Genesis Garden account was that there would be no need for divorce because people would be united and serve one another and love one another. Mm. Later, when he was alone, his disciples brought the subject up. And he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. And that's the yeah. bit that you would be confronted by. Yeah. Okay. So um, just for the sake of time, if we load up everything I've just said here, yep. the problem was their hearts were selfish. Yeah. It was like, you're not pleasing me anymore. See you later. I've got grounds to divorce you. Now, what Jesus is saying here in this culture, a woman didn't, there was no Centrelink. Yeah. There was no opportunity oh, for, right. yeah. I probably have mentioned this, there's no opportunity for a woman to um, make ends meet. The yep. society was very patriarchal. And so for a man. The marriage made the woman, didn't The marriage. Uh, made the woman stay safe. It gave security after. and yeah, safety. Security, yeah. And it's not, a, it's not an ideal world. I'm actually yeah. grateful, to be honest, I'm actually grateful now that we've moved from that. Yeah. And now women don't have to live in relationships because in an ideal world, the idea was that the in, in the way it should have worked is that the man should have protected his wife. Yeah. He should have provided for her. He should have been able to care for her and bring her provision and safety in a in a in a male focused world, which the Greco Roman world was and the Jewish world was. Yeah. But so Jesus is having a go at the men here because they're just sending their wives off. And he's saying, when you do that, when you just send your wife off, you are forcing her into adulterous relationship because mm. now in order to survive in the world. There's no Centrelink. There's nothing to protect her. She's probably going to have to sell herself. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. Or if a, a rich woman does the same, because there were some rich elite women who had control, degree of control over their house. And so Jesus is not just talking about it at face value. When you put it back in its context here, this shouldn't be a condemning thing. Mm. This should be, this should have still allow for the fact that we all have mistakes. We all make mistakes. We, we, we all have relation. Not every relationship is going to work the way we like. Yeah. Now I haven't divorced my wife, but there are other relationships in my life that I would consider divorced relationships where once we were close, Yeah. but it didn't work out and it's sad. And I grieve the loss of that. And some of it was my fault and some of it was other people's mm. faults. And you could argue, well, I've divorced in those relationships and not, not obviously I'm not comparing it to marriage, but you see the principle behind yeah. it. Human relationships are going to be flawed. We're going to have times. And this is not supposed to be a condemning passage. This is Jesus answering a question. Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He's going, it's not okay. You're actually selfish when you do that. Own up, man up, support, provide for others, value others. That's what he's trying to get at. Yeah, okay. It's well explained. Thank you. I've never quite explained explained. it that succinctly before. So that was was what I I think is going on here in this story. I like it. Um. The rich man, verse 17 to 22, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does he say? He says, uh, give your heart to God and all that and he, all these things. And he says, I've done all that. Yeah, I've done all that. And then he says, sell all your stuff. And the man's like, what? what? I've, I've, <laughs> I've done everything else. I haven't committed adultery. Or That's right. I'm my father and mother. I've done all those things. So why does Jesus say that? Because that's the one thing he's holding on to. Yeah. Yeah. Because that exposes his heart. The law is supposed to expose our hearts. The 30-minute zone, the 30-minute parking zone <laughs> yeah, is, the, is there to tell us 
to show us that in the end, without the 30-minute parking zone telling us not to park there for 30 minutes, we'd park there all day and we wouldn't even give a thing to our hearts about other people. Yes. The very fact that there's a law is supposed to tell you. So in this case, Jesus in this case, Jesus is shining a light on the man's heart. He does all he ticks all the other boxes. He's parking in all the correct zones, but there's one parking zone that he's got wrong. It's the area of caring for others. Hmm. His money had become his idol. And Jesus and it says, Jesus says, Go and sell everything. It doesn't say it to everybody. No. But to this man, that was his idol. Flaws him. Flaws him. He goes, oh, the man says the man face fell. He went away sad for him. He'd be like Jesus telling me to never play guitar again. Never play guitar again. I'd be like, come on. Yep. (laughs) I think, I think, Kenny, my experience in many years of pastoral ministry and in my own life is I have seen men, almost without exception, there are things in our world that God will tell us to give up. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's mindsets mindsets it's it's um it's certain television shows it's you know yeah. certain behaviors and whatever and god will tell us to give them up and oftentimes he'll say give them up for a time yeah but for all intents and purposes it might as well be forever yeah because god will call us to give up the things that we run the risk of making an idol in our life yeah just lay it down don't do that thing and Can it might not be a direct instruction it might be in your heart or something you'll yep. be watching or doing it and yep. thinking this doesn't feel right yeah. to me. Yep. And I actually, I've yeah. known, I've known people, musicians, you're talking about yourself as a musician. I've known people who were over the years I've met who, you know, were making a career, no professional musicians, but people, you know, a bit like you gigging and, yeah. and, and it had gotten to the point where it had become an idol to them mm. and it was taking them away from their faith yep. and they got, and they had to give it up for a season and they didn't have to give it up forever, but they probably thought they did. Yeah. They had to put God first. And then it's like, God says, okay. That thing's not an idol to you anymore. It's time to pick it up again. Mm. Now you can use it for my glory. Yeah. So God will do that with us. What are the things that He that we run we're putting in front of God? And if we can allow the Lord to tell us to put those things down, uh, when the time is right, we'll be able to pick them up again. It's very similar Beautiful. to what God says to Abraham about Isaac. Take your son, give up your son, the promised son, sacrifice him. Ooh. And he gets to that point where he's about to Yep. Raise that knife. Yep. God says, no, no, that's enough. I now know that that your son, your promise is not as important as the promiser. Mm. Now I'm freeing you from that. And all of us will have points in our life where we have to lay the thing on the altar and be prepared to kill it. Wow. And once we kill it, we've shown our own heart. We, that thing will no longer have the power over us. And in this man's case, that's money. Yep. Sadly, this man walks away and he doesn't do it. Yeah. And Jesus says how hard it is too for the much. rich to enter the kingdom. It was too the cost was too high. Mm. That's what's happening wow, in the story. Cool. Yeah. So what are we being called to give up, friends? There will be something God mm. wants us to give up. But when we do, we'll try, find true freedom because as long as that thing is an idol, it is gonna kill us. That's a lot to chew on, isn't it? It's mm. big. It's <laughs> kind of floored me. Yeah. Thought food for thought. It's a big chapter, this one. It goes on to um, about that Jesus blesses the children. It's this chapter is filled with so much scripture to study yep. that we can't talk about it all. Yep. And there's the, it, it towards the end, the disciples wanting to have this big bicker about wanting to sit on either side <laughs> of Jesus in heaven. Um, that's a pretty kind of funny one. <laughs> Who's going to do it? It finishes yep. with the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Yep. It's a, it's a big chapter. I like. I, I feel like we should almost stop where we did. Because yeah, we that's, should. Um, let me let me just pull out. We're talking yeah. about eternal life. I know there's not a lot. Oh yes, yes. You just said Jesus 
is having a they're having a debate about who's sitting with Jesus in heaven. Yeah, on the right hand side. Is that right? Yeah. Who gets to says, sit on the right hand side? James oh, and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over to speak to him. Teacher, they said, We want to do a favor. What is your request? They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and one on your left. You glorious. I just said heaven. You just said heaven. <laughs> I want to I want to make that point. Because if you that's not what they're thinking. I preached on the ascension. Yeah, they're not thinking that. <laughs> no. They're not thinking anything about heaven. Oh, they're like when the Messiah They're thinking about the Messiah rules. and his throne in Jerusalem. Oh. I'm only saying that to show how you have taken a view, a preconceived view, and put it yeah. into the text here. They're not thinking that. Uh-huh. They're not thinking about Jesus on his throne in heaven. They're thinking about Jesus on his they're throne in Jerusalem up the when, road. When this finally happens and you become yeah. the Messiah, can I be your yeah. right-hand man? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I'm only just saying that to yeah, show yeah, you how no, easily good. you've imposed... I have a twenty you know, a, a view upon the scripture rather than leaving the scripture. Because in my mind, myself. I'm like, well, who cares where you sit in heaven? You're in heaven. That's right. <laughs> that's not what this is about. So I'm just saying that. Let's not delve into his yeah, answer, yeah, yeah. but just to say how easy it is to assume something. Yeah. So we won't go into any more on that chapter. We're going to go to another small to chapter, to Acts yeah, fifteen. Just a tiny oh, Acts fifteen to finish off our podcast. Oh, Acts fifteen. Okay, here we go. I can do that justice in fifteen minutes. <laughs> Kenny's just said we're going to do Acts 15 in 12 minutes and then we're going to have some lunch before we record the next podcast. So, folks, uh, I don't know how many minutes we're in now, but let's see if we can do this in we 12 minutes. We could probably do two hours for Acts 15. Oh, I did a whole sermon There's on a lot Acts of 15 stuff. on video at length during pod, or during lockdown because this was a very pertinent scripture to the whole wow. thing of vaccinations and the vaccination yeah. debate and everything. So, I don't know how we're going to do this in 12 minutes, but you ask a question and we'll go from well, there. Well, it's titled The Council at Jerusalem, so they... Paul and Barnabas were cruising around speaking the gospel and then they came to Antioch yep. of Syria where some Judeans were teaching. Yep, so Jews from Jewish Christians from Jerusalem. About having to be circumcised to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas who... Was it called the new way by then with the Gentiles being saved? Uh, it was around... How long after yeah, this they is, had the vision and ate, this is some, ate this all This is the some food years later. That's, yeah, yeah, this is only five chapters later from there. Yeah. But this is some years later. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas have been on – so Paul's already done one mission trip. This is his second mission trip into, into Turkey and Greece. Yeah. So this is sometime later. Yes. So, they, so they're pretty much – they're pretty staunch on this not having to be circumcised. Anyone can be saved. Yes. So they disagreed. Let's let's just put it in perspective before yeah. we go to the council. All right. The question is this: What is what does a person have to do to be in the in crowd? Uh-huh. What does a person have to do in order to be accepted in the church? Okay. So, you, what do you have to do to be part of God's family? What do you have to do to feel like you belong? All those sorts of questions. That's the underlying question. Now we're reading it through the lens of circumcision and obeying the law versus Gentiles, but that question is if this we in relation to what you have to do to be saved or. Well, this, the, the context here is being saved, but this is actually a context of what do you have to do to be part of God's family, to be accepted in his church? Right. So if we think about it from that perspective, how do you experience eternal life? Being, is it, is so it then, like being cleaned up before you come in? Yes. Yes. It's like, yeah. what are there any prerequisites to being accepted in God's family? Okay. So it, in that sense, eternal life is, they experience eternal life in community, in the, in the new, in the little microcosms of heaven. Yeah. Which were churches being planted that Paul was planting all over. That was where they were experiencing eternal life. So the question is, are there any rules 
Are there any things you have to do to get in? And these Jewish Christians are saying, saying, yes, you have to be circumcised. Some Christians today will say, well, you have to dress a certain way or clean up your act or stop smoking or you need to be vaccinated or can't be vaccinated or whatever the case might be. Wear a little hat. Yeah, exactly. All of those things. (laughs) Dress a certain way on stage. All these rules. Follow the Shabbat and all that. All of that. Follow Sabbath. So all of these rules, don't eat certain foods. These are all applicable. So I'm just saying that to set up what we're going to say in the rest of the story because this seems like it's distant, but it's not. The question is who's in and who's out. Rightio. So they were sent. So how far was it from Antioch Antioch, to Jerusalem? uh, Because they've gone, you you can't just say this here. You need to go and talk about this in Jerusalem. It's probably a couple hundred kilometers south to Jerusalem from Antioch, I'm guessing. Okay. And who sent them? The Pharisees. The church. The church. So, so they're in this church at Antioch, which is a lot of Gentiles. Yep. These Jews arrive and start telling them, no, 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 you can't be in this church. You don't belong here unless you're circumcised. And so, and is this a, around the time that the, they were looking at the Gentiles who could just pretty much waltz in and be saved? Yes. And, yeah. yeah and they didn't like anything. the fact that Paul was teaching that they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to obey the law of Moses. They can just come and get saved, accept Jesus, and they don't like it. Yeah. So when they get to Jerusalem... Some of the Pharisees are insisting that the Gentile converts must be circumcised. Isn't it interesting? Some of the Pharisees. So these are the mm. people who Jesus has spent a lot of time speaking against, but now a whole bunch of them have become Christians. Yeah. But they still can't undo their old mindsets. They're used to rules and regulations. Pharisees are Jewish. Jewish. Very, very, very elite, Jewish. law-abiding Jews. Fa- yeah. Paul was one of them. He was a Pharisee yeah, of Pharisees. He okay. was one of them for... For a long time. So he knows all the rules. He knows the rules inside. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the rules better than anybody. Wow. Um, And now he's staunchly saying those rules won't get us into heaven, won't get us into the the relationship with the Lord that we want. So he knows them. But there's, I just love the fact that there's Pharisees in the church. Yeah. That somehow they found Jesus even in the midst of their rules. I'm not down on these guys because I think we all start to set up rules. Oh, yeah. For who's in and who's out. And usually, I, I feel like that whatever I'm comfortable with is in, and whatever anybody, you know, I don't like other people. But hey, you be like me, and I'm then you can belong. It's easy to put rules like what and what I was saying about the, the seed when I first became came back to the church. I would be like, oh, but I'm not like. Well, I'd look at people You'd look at church other and people say, I'm not like them. them. I'm still messed yeah. up. And, yeah, um, and sadly, that's you working out. But sadly, those that are the other people. And we need to ask ourselves, where have we set up rules that have kept other people out? Yeah. Oh, we don't have those kind of people in our church. Or, you know, we, I heard someone say once, you know, if you can leave your handbag on your seat in church and not worry about it, you're probably not reaching the right kind of people. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. But also you might look at churches and think, oh, they all look like they've all got it together, but really no one's. No one's got it together. together. We're all broken. (laughs) We're all figuring it out. Exactly. (laughs) That's what Paul's argument is. Yeah. Yeah. So I just put a long discussion followed about Gentiles being saved and what laws they do and don't have to follow. Yes. So let's just talk about the discussion. So the way that it's, this is the first council and this this model will then be built upon in the next several hundred years. Yeah. And there'll be multiple church councils where groups of leaders will get together. Sadly, is it more like parliament or not? Uh, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sadly, a lot of them. It's, sadly, it's men. There's very few women involved, but that's yeah. still because they're trying to figure out the patriarchy at the time. Um, praise God, we're not there. Well, I shouldn't say we're not there. We still are, but we're getting better at including women's voices in conversations. But yes, it's like parliament of the church, I suppose. A group of people get together, a group of leaders get together, and James, who is 
the brother of Jesus is at this at this stage seems to be the the pastor of the church. He seems to be the predominant elder among the elders of okay. Jerusalem. And he hears from Peter, he hears from Paul, he hears from the Pharisees. They all have a big discussion, a long discussion. Everyone gets is a chance to share. Is this closed off from the public? Probably a closed off yep. meeting. Everyone gets a chance to share, which I think is an awesome model. Yep. All sides are heard. Yep. And then once they do that, James, who is the leader, stands up and says, we've heard from this guy, we've heard from this guy, we've heard from these group. Therefore, I'm going to make a judgment. And so he says, this is my judgment. This is what I think we need to do. And they all come to a point of agreement. I suspect they didn't all come to a point of agreement. In fact, the point of agreement they come to. Yeah, I was pro- going to say, what is the point? Of, so the point, my end, my end point was, how does this relate to eternal life? Okay, so let's yeah. do let's do it. So verse nineteen, after they've heard all this, James says, "My judgment is this: that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God." Okay, so the first overarching thing is, let's not put up too many rules. Let's not put rules in the way that stop the Gentiles from coming to God. Now, they were being told they had to get circumcised and obey the Torah, 613 rules. That's what they were being told. 613 rules. And is that all about eating foods? Yeah, all the foods they could and couldn't eat and kosher and all of that. Uncleanliness. All of that. That's what they were told. We can't do any of that. That's what they were being told. You can't be a Christian unless you do all those things. So they've come to the conclusion, Paul and Barnabas have spoken, Peter's spoken and, and explained, hey, the, the Je- P- Peter's talking about Cornelius in Acts 10. He's going, these guys didn't have all that. They weren't even circumcised and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So that, clearly that's not the case. So James goes, okay, we don't want to make hard, we don't want to put unnecessary rules and regulations in front of people to stop them entering the kingdom. So that's verse 19. My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Verse 20, instead... We should write to them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, sexual immorality, eating the meat of strangled animals, and consuming blood. It's a strange list. Okay? We, it still seems weird. You talked with Jeff about consuming blood and stuff. I did. Yeah. Okay, yep. Atonement. Atonement. I did. You're right. Still a strange list. Meat from strangled animals. Yeah. Well, that would Is rule- that like kosher? Is that so like strangled animals, the ones that are slaughtered peacefully. No, the opposite of that. The opposite of that. They unkosher animals. Oh, wow. Okay, animals that would literally, they would strangle animals rather than kosher. We'd kill so them. So die while correct. they're freaking out. Yes, exactly. That, right? Um, so they should abstain from eating food offered to idols. Well, Paul's going to go on later and say, I have no problems with eating food offered to idols. Yeah. So the key here is that it seems like a strange list when they've said don't make it difficult. Because mm. we would, we would most most Gentile Christians today would would probably have problems with with that, um, you know, we would, uh, we would probably, I like a good steak yes, with blood in it. That's right. Right. So I'd Maybe straight away, I missed that. Right. So then that's verse 20. Give them a four things that they should not do. And then he gives the explanation as to why he gives four things for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for generations. Mm. So here is a, I hope I can do this justice in a couple of minutes. Here's, okay. here is a middle ground approach. Actually, eating meat sacrificed to idols, Paul says, isn't a problem. Eating food with blood in it, Paul doesn't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with. But what he is trying to say is, in the same way that Jews should not make it hard for Gentiles to enter the kingdom of God, you Gentiles, would you be willing to give up some of your freedoms 
for the Jews because there are there are Jews in all these cities. They've for generations obeyed this law. And if you come in flaunting your freedom, mm. eating meat with blood in it, you're actually making it hard for Jews. Yeah. Because they've got preconceptions in their mind and how they they will struggle to eat at the same table as you if you're sitting there with your steak and there's blood pouring out of your steak. So like show a bit of respect. So a bit of respect. So the answer is this. Both ways, reciprocal. Who are you willing to give up? What rights are you willing to give up to be part of the family? Don't demand others give up your rights, up their rights to be accepted by you. What The question is, what rights are you willing to give up mm. to let others feel accepted? And that is the like that. that is what this Acts 15 is all about. Yeah. Stop putting barriers in front of other people. Stop fighting for your rights and your freedoms. And think about what rights and freedoms you're willing to forego for the benefit of other people. Mm. That's Acts 15 in a nutshell. Because then they're going to write this letter. They're going to send it back to Antioch. And when they get there, they all read it and they're all excited. Even though there's four rules, they're going, hey, we don't have to get circumcised and we don't have to obey 613 rules. We're, we're okay with this. <laughs> so they, there's an excitement about it. So this is a beautiful picture when you dig into it of what the church should be like. It should be a yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm in my head. I'm thinking, how does how do we use that? Today? Okay, I was, that was what I was going to ask you. Yeah, with a lot of, well, everybody. There's a lot of different people. It's like in a conversation when, when you would say, I can see how, you, I, I can see how you're feeling, or I can accept the way you are. Here's how I feel. Yep, love that. So not getting defensive. Not getting defensive, not saying this is the only way. That's right. There's Contrary to what yep. Mandalorians say, this is and the way. And by accepting people for who they are. Yeah. And not um, drawing a line in the sand. Come on, Kenny. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. Now, the oh, the future church councils are going to go on and try and – there has to be a line in the sand somewhere. They're going to go on and yeah. they're going to try and figure out where is the line in the sand. When, it, when the line in the sand is drawn in such a way that we we then launch a culture war against those who are on the other side, we've still missed the point. This Council of 15, there might be a certain line in the sand that you have to draw, but how are you going to treat those on the other side of the line? You still mm. have to treat them with gentleness and respect. You need to not launch attack, an attack against the others. It's supposed to have, however you put it, like don't, you know, show respect for other people. Yeah. Be respectful. Two main commandments. Love, love your neighbor. Lord, as love your neighbor as yourself. Love your Lord. Yeah. So I think Acts 15 is a beautiful picture. I think we've summed it up in nearly probably 13 minutes or something. Beautiful. Anyway, what are you going to ask? How does it have to do with eternal life? Yeah. Okay, let's sum up eternal life in this passage. Yeah. Because the eternal life to them is found in community with God's people. They were the, that was where heaven touched down. In the okay. little, Instead of being in the tabernacle, in the temple in Jerusalem, now every church was a temple. Eternal life was experienced in community with God's people. Yes, there is an eternal part of it. There is a part in the future. Yeah. But most of the Bible is dealing with the, this life. And this point is, how do you experience God's eternal life? What do you have to do? You have to accept Jesus and be gracious and kind and allow others into the family where they can experience the love as well. Beautiful. I love it. All right. I think we're done. Done. That's eternal life. Thank you, Rob. I'm going to go into judgment. We've already done a lot of that this episode, but we'll see. Going to have a break and. uh... 
have some lunch and See then you get back week. into it. See you next week. <laughs> See you, everyone. Bye-bye.